ladies and gentlemen, welcome to season six. Love that. That's so, <laughs> so dramatic. It's amazing. That's so good. You know, I had to pull out all the stuff. Of course for our you did. Final season. Parenthood House. We are the Parenthood House. Oh, it's our last season premiere. We're gonna do this the whole season. We're gonna be like, it's our last. We're gonna be like my 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 parents, not my actual parents, but my students' parents when they come to like parent teacher conferences and cry because it's the last one. I think I told Sarah <laughs> about that last season. Yeah, we're gonna just be like, this is the last time we'll do this, and this is the last time we'll do that. Ugh. But it will be good, you know. It'll be like closure the whole season through yeah yeah well this is parenthood pals i'm <laughs> caleb boyer i'm melissa fight johnson if you didn't know that by now <laughs> why are you starting with season six it's episode so one? it's so random you know, i guess it's go whim- back to the pilot yeah come on man but, it's whimsical of you i will give you that um <laughs> yeah and you know what if you're listening to us you can do whatever you want yeah we're just happy but you're here yeah that's true we would recommend <laughs> starting for the beginning yeah a very good place to start as julie andrews once said <laughs> yes well this season you know we've only got 13 episodes. That's to right. Dive into. Yeah. It's another Parenthood has such a weird episode count across seasons. It goes yeah. 13, 22, 18, 15, 22, 13. Yeah. Very random. But I guess that's probably because it was always on the bubble. Yeah. They just gave us what they could. And we're very grateful that they did. And you know, when we last left our rewatch, putting ourselves back in 2014 time. The season finale of season five was maybe the series finale. It had not been renewed. Yeah. It wasn't until May 11th, 2014, that Parenthood was renewed for a sixth and final season. And this is from an article on TV line by Michael Osiello. And he says, the 11th hour pickup comes after the network looking to trim costs on the very expensive series closed new deals with the principal cast that will have them appearing in 11 of the 13 episodes. And this was something I remember vividly from that time. Although there's one detail that it's not so vivid. Some places I found it said they only appeared in nine of the 13 episodes. Oh yeah. And then here it says 11. I'm not sure which one it ultimately was, but they definitely weren't appearing in every single one. Yeah, we'll have to look out for that. Um, Yeah, maybe maybe keep it a tally or something. I will say my memory is that sometimes it was very strange, their way of explaining why a character wasn't in the episode. And I think with a huge cast like that, I don't even know why they would have to do that. I feel like they always handled it really well in the past when a character just didn't happen to be in the episode. And I just wonder if it was like poor planning or something. I mean, I don't want to sound like a jerk. What do I know about running a show? I don't know anything. But I feel like when they... When, when it was like they could just do whatever they wanted, they might just be like, oh, we don't have room for this character. It'll be fine. Yeah. But in this season, people, it just didn't make sense that they wouldn't be in a very important scene or something that you're like, right. that character would be there. What's happening? And the the explanation was sometimes flimsy. So, yeah. Yeah. In July of 2014, Jason Kadams said at the Television Critics Association press tour, 
One of the things about being on a show like Parenthood is that it's always been a bubble show. We never knew if we're coming back. And this year was definitely trickier than others. It's a big cast. It's an expensive show to produce. What happened in this case was there were so many people internally, and it started with NBC Entertainment Chairman Bob Greenblatt wanting to figure out a way to bring the show back. That was something where everybody from a production standpoint, cast, had to be a part of it. So everyone wanted it to come back, but there were some hard realities, financial primarily, about how to do that. Yeah, I always have to say, though, because of that, all season six, anyone who wasn't a main cast member, I would always think, how much is this person getting paid? (laughs) And we'll get there, but like... Hank's in this episode, not a main cast member. His ex-wife is back, not a main cast member. Their daughter is back, not a main cast member. Yeah. How much is the Rizzoli family getting paid? And that couldn't get Jasmine in another episode. Yeah, uh, but fair. We'll cross, cross that bridge when we come to it. Jason Kadams also said of season six, one of the things I wanted to do for the season was to find one larger story that influences everybody on the show. The story is going to be introduced in the first episode and play throughout the season. It's a huge new challenge for the family and one that we didn't see before. If that sounds ominous, fans agreed. And <laughs> they were instantly theorizing that a character was going to die. Yeah. Which was confirmed by Monica Potter not long after in an interview with E! Online. She said, I know that there's something that is monumental that happens, but none of us really know yet. We haven't gotten the scripts. It's going to be someone. I don't know. I have a guess of who it is. I think one person might know, and it's probably the person that it's going to happen to, but nobody else does. I think in some weird way, we're not talking about it because we're all afraid of it. Subconsciously, we all don't want to face that because if I'm right in my hunch and who it is, I don't know how I'm going to deal with that even though it's not real. Whoa. Intense, right? Yeah. And I remember hearing all of this in the lead up to the season premiere. And then season six, at least on one level, became a constant parenthood death watch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Just looking for any sign. Who's it going to be? Yes. Someone's going down. And (laughs) And this was not isolated to me. I have to say, in 2014... Rosie O'Donnell was back on The View. (laughs) If you haven't learned yet, I'm a loyal View watcher. She had returned to The View, and there's like this behind-the-scenes thing where she pulls people from the audience, and they're talking about parenthood, and Rosie's talking about how much she loves it. But then she says at the end of their little segment... And please don't miss Parenthood. We know it's not on ABC, but it's such a great show. And if Zeke Braverman dies, I'm going to have to take a three-week sabbatical from this show (laughs) in order to recover. And not to spoil anything, but when we're on this... Death watch. <laughs> you immediately think Zeke. Well, he's got the heart condition. He's old. But then it's that red herring feeling of like, no, they just want us to think it's Zeke. Yeah. But that's too obvious. Yeah. Maybe it's going to be someone else and it's going to totally blindside us. I mean, Christina had cancer yeah. just one year ago. Yeah. It came back for Gwen. Yeah. Killed her. Or, you know, maybe it's someone's going to get hit by a bus, you know? No, I remember every episode... <laughs> If anything happened to anyone, and I won't say 
what I'm thinking right now because it didn't happen in this episode, but I know early in the episode, something happens and I was like, oh my God, it's this person. And so we'll definitely uncover that as, as we're watching, but it was a really kind of weird thing to do. Like outside of the show for like publicity or something like, like kind of heavily insinuating that someone would die and then making you like a paranoid watcher. But I guess it's very effective, you know, but I'm also like, but aren't, aren't people watching if like, (laughs) it's the last season, it's the last 13 episodes, were they hoping to draw in new viewers who were just curious about death? (laughs) Like, I don't know. And, I mean, who knows? And also, it doesn't feel like the kind of show that traffics in who's going to die next. Right. You know, it's, it's, if it were like Game of Thrones right. or like Breaking Bad or something, something where like, where, well, people die from time to time. And it's like the mystery and the intrigue and the yeah. suspense. That's the opposite of this show. <laughs> right. So, and it did, especially with this deal among the cast members that they weren't going to appear in all the episodes. I remember trying to like count as the season went along. Has someone been in all of their episodes already? Is this because they're going to die later on and then they won't be in the episode? And so they're using them up now. And is that going to help me predict who it was? Boy. It was suspenseful. You know, a show that also wasn't like that, but they did it for just the series finale was Dawson's Creek. And I remember the promo for Dawson's Creek was insane. It like flashed all the main characters and was like, and one of them dies. <laughs> like, and, it, and I was like, what? It was heartbreaking. And I think they did it really well. Um, and, and it's one of my favorite series finales ever, actually. Although the older I get, the more I'm like, I don't know if I'm okay with that, even though they did it very well. But, <laughs> but yeah, it felt like a really weird way to get people's attention. I'm also like, like currently I'm teaching their eyes. We're watching God and AP Lit. And it's like a frame story. So the first chapter is the end, you know, and then it flashes back. And we have so many interesting discussions in class about like, why would they choose that? Like, why would, in this case, Zora Neale Hurston choose that? Why does she want to reveal that the main character has moved away and has returned and that she lost this great love of her life who we won't meet until halfway through the book? Um, Like, what? why not have everything be a surprise? And then we're, we're talking about, well, that means that like what happens isn't necessarily a surprise, but how it's going to happen is, is the surprise instead. And that's maybe equally compelling, just in a different way. So that makes me think of the novel Carrie oh. by Stephen King. <laughs> yeah. Be not quite on the level of Zora Neale Hurston, hey. but <laughs> in the novel, the narrative is interspersed with, excerpts from books, Mm -hmm. fictitious books, but they're presented as nonfiction books within the world of the novel and transcripts from government commissions and things like this about what happened Mm. in Chamberlain, Maine on the night of the prom. Wow. And they keep insinuating something horrible (laughs) happened, but they never tell you what until it's actually revealed in the narrative. And, Of course, by the time I was reading Carrie, I knew exactly what happened at the prom. So it had lost its power. But I remember being struck then like, wow, if you didn't know what the climax of Carrie was, and they keep referring to this hideous event, that really would build up the suspense. Like, oh, my God, something's going to happen. I got to get to prom right now and find out. (laughs) That will keep you turning the pages. Now, that's smart. 
It is smart. And, you know, also you're taking a bit of a risk, I think, because whatever happens has to be good to like yeah. live up to it. And I think by now everyone knows what happens in Carrie. I think it <laughs> more than lives up to it. It's iconic. And yeah. I also think their eyes were watching God. Like, it's fun to be reading that with my students right now. They have no idea. It's one of the most insane endings ever. Like, almost on the level of Carrie, but not as famous for some <laughs> reason. Yeah. I'm now thinking, if we're just going to keep going down in uh, literary merit, why not pull up <laughs> Big Little Lies uh, by Leanne Moriarty, which I now realize does exactly the same thing that Carrie does, where they keep talking about some um, murder that happens at like a parent event. And it's sort of played almost for laughs, like, which sounds crazy, but like they interview all these gossipy PTA moms and dads and everyone's gossiping about what they think happened. But they're very carefully concealing the name of the person who died and of course who who did it. And it's all these minor characters on the fringes, but yeah, like you're definitely like, what the hell happens at this? P-? I mean, who died and who killed them? And, and yeah. yeah, yeah. Contributes to the book being a page turner. So, well, let's turn the pages Ooh, of this. Nice. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so this is Parenthood season six, Whoa. episode one, Vegas. It was written by Jason Kadams, directed by Lawrence Trilling, it originally aired on September 25th, 2014, and here's the TV Guide synopsis. Sarah and Zeke head to Las Vegas to celebrate Zeke's birthday as the sixth season opens. Elsewhere, Amber deals with adulthood and new life changes, and Adam and Christina face the pressure of having their charter school ready in time for opening. Yeah. I have a vivid memory of watching this specific episode because at this time I was in San Diego working on The Hunchback of Notre Dame, wow. La Jolla Playhouse. And I had to wait for it to be rebroadcast on the West Coast, even though all my East Coast friends had seen it already. Oh, man. And I was like, how do people on the West Coast survive? <laughs> I couldn't believe I had to wait that extra three hours. Wow. Season six is probably the season I've watched the least. Okay. And thus remember the least. So... I'm excited to embark on this yeah, season. Yeah, me too. Because there's lots of surprises, I feel like. Because the episode is called Vegas, I thought maybe we'd start with the Vegas yeah, trip. That sounds fun. I thought the idea of a surprise father-daughter birthday trip to Vegas was super sweet. Yeah, it was adorable. Yeah, I really... And I love that Camille was in on it. Yeah. I love how that was presented to Zeke and how Sarah says it. So like in such a flip manner that he really does think she's joking. Um, and it, it just, it was perfect, you know, like, yeah, he's like, well, Vegas will have to wait. And then he's like, wait, hold up. You serious? It's so cute. <laughs> I love that. The whole thing is adorable. Some minor things. How many stories is Zeke and Camille's smaller house? Because from the backyard, <laughs> it looks like it's like five stories. I know. I, I wonder mean, Camille that is on a balcony or something that looks like maybe it's street level but then the backyard level is a level below that but then it looks like there's two stories above her I, yeah yeah it's like this house is enormous <laughs> they've just taken it from horizontal to vertical yeah stop wasn't that harder <laughs> yeah how are they gonna climb all those stairs for the yeah. rest of their lives i noticed that too actually i was like oh this is not a tiny house this is this is still enormous especially when sarah's on the upper balcony and you're like yeah how many balconies does this house right. have <laughs> yeah 
Also, something I didn't really put together from last season, you know, when Sarah shows up, she says, you live in the city now. I take that to mean they now live in San Francisco, not Berkeley. Maybe. They live on the other side of the bay. And in one shot in the backyard, I'm pretty sure you can see Coit Tower, which is a 210-foot tower in the Telegraph Hill neighborhood of San Francisco. So that would mean, yeah, they are in San Francisco now. Wow. I didn't even think of that. I wonder why they didn't, if that's true, why they didn't make a bigger deal about that. Or maybe once we saw those row houses, which are so San Francisco, maybe we were just supposed to infer. But I don't know that area. I was like, maybe they have row houses in Berkeley. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's like the exterior shot of the full house home, right? Yeah. 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 So anyway, have you ever been to Vegas? No. Have you? I have. Why did you go to Vegas? Maybe I know this. I was on tour with Bridges and Oh, Madison yeah. County. You went all so over played, on that tour. I played Vegas. Wow. Um, Look at you. You're Burt Baccarat. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny. I So on our tour, most musicals would travel with a keyboard, and you would play the same keyboard that you brought with you everywhere. But Bridges and Madison County used grand pianos, and so we would use whatever piano the venue had. And sometimes they were great, and sometimes they were not so great. And I started making a list where I would rank each city's <laughs> piano. And Vegas was number one. Was the best one? It was the best piano I played on tour. Wow. They, the Smith Center where we played was, I think, just a year or two old when we were there in 2016. It was a beautiful venue. And they had like a nine-foot Yamaha grand piano. Wow. It was stunning. I love that. And... um I didn't gamble, <laughs> which I'm sad to say, but I did. I, I went to a Cirque du Soleil Michael Jackson oh, show. Oh, that sounds cool. And then I, I went on the New York, New York roller coaster. I love roller coasters. I went to the Stratosphere Hotel, which has all these crazy rides at the top of this like thousand foot tall hotel. That sounds fun. I enjoyed my time in Vegas a lot and I would love to go back. That's cool. I got to say, I'm not much into gambling. Like the few times I do it, I'm like not sure what the point is. I mean, maybe I'd feel differently if I were good at it and then I won lots of money. But the way it's always been framed to me is like it's a successful night if you lose like $20 slowly over the course of the evening. And I'm like, is that a successful night? Like I I would rather go get (laughs) dinner or see a show with that $20. And I suppose it all depends on your idea of fun. But like to me... I love playing games, but I don't want to put money on the game. I just want to play with friends. And yeah, so for, for some reason, yeah. And I think that might be why I've never been to Vegas. But I would like to see shows and rides sound cool. And the thing I really want to do is just walk along the strip and see all the like, you know. Yeah, yeah. that's very cool. That seems cool. I want to see like a mini Eiffel Tower and like all these things smooshed together. That sounds cool. I like that idea. Yeah. Maybe and someday. it's kind of tacky, but yeah. that's like part of the charm. Yeah. I don't know. I really liked it. I have the same feeling kind of though about gambling. Like I meant to do it while I was there because I thought, well, I should gamble some while I'm in Vegas. 
But also, there, I'm, I have like a little fear about it too. Yeah. What if I'm a gambling addict and I just never know because I've never <laughs> done it? And then I like open Pandora's box. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen, but you never know. Yeah, that's true. I've I've gone to casinos a few times, mostly with my mother in law because she really loves casinos, and so sometimes like on her birthday, she and Mark and I will go, and that's when I. We'll just lose $20 slowly over the course of the <laughs> evening. But I, it, it's nice. I'm, I'm like, I'm doing it for her. She's happy, you know, and she loves it. And she's very good at it. She continually, like, wins money. So I'm like, I see the appeal for you. Apparently, I'm just no good at this. <laughs> so Another thing I love to do is eat. And I didn't go to any buffets oh, in Las Vegas. Now I, I feel like, yeah, you should have. I feel like, yeah, maybe yeah, someday we'll go. And then we'll just, like, go to, you know, buffets. Even though that's, like, way unhealthier than gambling for me, probably. But... <laughs> You got to eat. Why stop now? You got to eat. <laughs> yeah. Sarah makes just a little random comment to Zeke about counting cards. And she said, Ben Affleck got in a lot of trouble for that. <laughs> I didn't know about this, but Ben Affleck was kicked out of the Hard Rock Casino in Vegas for counting cards. Wow. Blackjack. How about that? I don't really understand counting cards like in any detail, but I do think, why is it cheating? Because it seems to me like you're just paying attention. You're not yeah. like violating the rules of the game. You're just noticing what has been dealt yet and what hasn't. And uh, I don't know. I, maybe I'm really wrong about how counting cards works, but I think like you can't tell someone, hey, stop being this good at the game. <laughs> you can't pay this much attention. Like, that's not a fair rule. That's true. I mean, that feels different than like somehow sneaking in an extra ace or something. That's for Exa- sure cheating. Now, that yeah. is a violation. Yeah. I. I think I'm with you. Of course, we're both admitting we don't know much about this. So someone could <laughs> someone certainly. Out there is like, These like, idiots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Rattling on about. Anyway. It made me wonder if Zeke actually was counting cards before he got his dizzy spell or if that was just her grasping at why he was behaving that way. Because I could actually oh, yeah. see it go either way. Like he seems shrewd enough to like be able to do that. And maybe he was doing that and then it let in or maybe not you know and she was just trying to figure out what happened but i i really couldn't tell i thought his fainting was really well executed it was it felt so sudden yeah that i really was alarmed because i knew it was coming at some point but i was still caught off guard by it like oh oh and he's down and he's down yeah i wrote that too i'm like that must be i mean i'm not an actor at all. And certain things strike me as way harder to pull off than others. And I've always thought fainting seemed like one of the hardest things to do. How do you do it in a way where you're not just rolling your eyes to the sky and placing a backwards <laughs> hand on your forehead and like just swooning, you know? <laughs> yeah. Onto a fainting couch in the parlor. <laughs> yeah. Suddenly you're in the South. It's a whole thing. Yeah. It was really well done. And, and uh, Sarah's reaction to it was, was alarmed I I thought oh and and I thought it was kind of a cool idea to have them be in Vegas because it just opened up so many things like how much more worried would you be if he was out of town and you know who goes to join them and who doesn't who stays behind and just waits and also you're just a little off because it's not your hospital and not your doctor and everything. Yeah, I, I thought. And ooh. it's his birthday and he wants to have fun. And yeah. yeah, the whole thing I thought was like really like interesting, cool choices. Because if it had happened at home, 
Camille would have taken him to their hospital and almost certainly their doctor or someone they knew would have treated him. And he, you wouldn't have that drama of him probably like leaving the hospital against their wishes and stuff. Probably Camille would be able to stop him, I think, more easily than Sarah and his, the kids. But may, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe no one could have stopped him. But she did get him to go to the hospital when he got yeah. home. So, And I thought, you know, over the last few seasons, Zeke has matured in lots of ways. But then when he's in the hospital, I wrote down, Zeke is back in fine form. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just throwing a tantrum like a child. Yeah. And ugh. insulting the young looking doctor. <laughs> like, well, And I have a question about this. Okay. First of all, the doctor is played by Mark Saul, who played intern Steve on Grey's Anatomy. Oh, yeah. I don't watch Grey's Anatomy, but I now that you say that his credits, lots of appearances. Totally. On Grey's oh, man. But I, I also thought. The doctor who looks very young feels like a tired TV trope. Yes. Yeah. And I think, why is that a well so many people dip into? I mean, I don't think it's that, it that interesting. Funny? Is it that interesting? Is it that interesting? Doogie Howser, where the whole series was that. Yeah. I think is one thing. Like, okay, that's an And he actually premise. was young because I feel like a lot of yeah, like, other times it's just he looks young. Like, I'm guessing this doctor, you know was an appropriate age, just maybe youthful looking. Well, is the idea that it's not necessarily supposed to be funny? It's like it freaks out the person even more. I did notice that at the end of the episode, their doctor, like Zeke's doctor, is old like them. (laughs) Yeah. And maybe that's his comfort level, like someone experienced and and who's who's been around. So maybe that's at least a good point. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I just thought of it, but yeah, I also didn't think it was very funny. Also, I was just like, Oh, that's rude. Don't insult the person giving you care. And I was pretty upset that he left against their wishes though. Of course I understood it's his birthday and he's on the special trip, but I just thought, what are you doing? Your health is really important. Yeah. I also, yeah. And I just, I would never, it's, I, I so can't relate. Yeah. If I were in a hospital bed and a doctor said, I want you to stay here till tomorrow, then that's what I would do. I'd, me too. Yeah. And it would take a lot more to get me out of that bed than, but I want to gamble. Right. <laughs> like, no, it would need to be like, I wrote a Broadway show and it's opening tomorrow. I'm going the, you know. Right, right. It would need to be something much bigger than I had fun plans. I mean, and couldn't they just bump back their flight a day and like wait till he's given the all clear and then go celebrate? Because then they'd really be celebrating like, oh, this was a false alarm. You're okay. Unless what really it is, is he's worried he's not okay. And he just doesn't want to know. Because this does make me think of the one thing we liked in his road trip with Crosby last season when they go get that grill or whatever, when they had that serious talk at the diner or wherever they were about how he's afraid that selling the house means he's cashing in. He even yeah. uses like a gambling term. Like that's, oh. I, I just thought of that. That's crazy. And so like for that to happen while he's out having fun, probably feeling young and free, that must really shake him to his core. And, you know, you and I talked about this back when Christina had cancer. Like, would we want to know you know, as soon as we possibly could. And I think we both said, yes, like we're the kind of people who want to be prepared and know, but there are a lot of people out there who avoid going to doctors. They're, they're kind of like, well, if I don't know something's wrong, then nothing's wrong. You know, it's like that real avoidant thing. Well, it's funny. I do have some of that too, because my health insurance 
has always been very spotty. Mm, that makes sense. And so it has been a long time since I've been to a doctor for just like a physical. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then this whole last year coming out of the pandemic, I qualified for Medicaid because I was had so so little money. So I could go for free and I could go to like the dentist and uh, stuff. I haven't been to a dentist in so long. I didn't do any of it. Wow. Part, huge part just out of laziness. And then there is like, I gained so much weight in the pandemic. I'm like, well, I want to wait until I'm healthier to go to the doctor, which is the opposite of making sense. It's like, <laughs> well, go to the doctor and they can help you be healthier and guide you toward, you know? Yeah. So, but I do kind of, I can relate, even though I'm ashamed to say it oh. to that. But if I were there, mm-hmm. I would do whatever they say. Yeah. Now that I mean, in terms that of sense. leaving or staying. Right. Oh. <laughs> you know? It's funny. I am the opposite. I, I get my, my teeth cleaned twice a year, you know, but of course I have very good health insurance. You know, it's one steady thing about being a teacher. And so I, I take pretty good advantage of all that. And sometimes, I mean, I think I might be a touch of like a hypochondriac. And I remember once I went to go get like, <laughs> like a lump on my breast um, examined. And by the time I got there, it was gone because I'm pretty sure it was a bug bite. And so like... <laughs> <laughs> That's how fast I made that appointment and was panicking. And then I was like literally there at the doctor and I'm like, well, the lump's gone. Goodbye. I've wasted everyone's time. <laughs> but, you know, if yeah. it hadn't gone away, yeah. you would have caught it early. And yeah. that is yeah. good. That is good. Yeah. I mean, better safe than sorry. I know. That's always been sort of my mantra. And so, yeah, the idea of Zeke leaving against doctor's orders felt insane to me, but very in keeping with his character. And I think this yeah. might be the thing to make him kind of regress. It, did, it didn't bother me the way Crosby's behavior last season bothered me because I felt like I at least understood it. Like it was this yeah. deep rooted fear and maybe his, his ultimate fear, maybe everyone's ultimate fear really. And we all handle it differently. So. And you know, the idea of him being on a birthday trip, something fun, maybe I can relate to that because I will say anytime that I've like been in a car accident, I've been in two of them. Both times, the biggest feeling I felt was inconvenienced. Yeah. I was like, oh, now I have to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And they were both in high school. One, well, one was late at night. I was done with all my stuff for the day, but it still felt like, I just want to go home. Yeah. Can we just go home? No, we have to stand here and like watch our car get towed away yeah. and tell police what happened and make sure that we're not injured and all this stuff. Yeah. And the second one, I was running errands before a performance in high school and I got rear-ended in front of my mom's office building. And I was like, well, am I going to be late now? And how am I going to get these copies made? I was going to her office to make copies of music. It's like, oh. And it was just that I had other plans and now they're being interfered with. Yeah. I don't care that my car is totaled. I care that I'm going to be late to <laughs> this performance. And now I can't even drive myself there. Wow. Like, so I maybe I can relate with that aspect of like, all I want to do is go play cards with my daughter on my birthday. Is that so much and, to ask? And now I have yeah. to be here and, yeah. and wait to get an echo when every other thing you've examined on me says, I'm fine. Nothing happened. Yeah. I still wouldn't leave, but <laughs> I can relate more than yeah. I initially yeah. thought. Yeah, me too. He's at Sunrise Hospital, which they say several times. And I thought that sounds like a fake hospital name. But I looked it up, and that is a real hospital in Las Vegas. Oh, cool. 
Did you think it was weird when they had that random shot of like a showgirl on crutches? Like, <laughs> don't forget, we're in Vegas. <laughs> Vegas. I did, but I was like, it's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. But also kind of cliched. Yeah. I wonder if it was and just... she's there in costume. Right. Like, like she, yeah. But then I wondered, maybe it's supposed to contribute to the surrealism of it or something. Yeah. Like, here I am in Vegas. I can't forget because <laughs> everything around me screams Vegas. I don't know. Okay. When Adam and Crosby go yeah. to Vegas, I looked that up. Berkeley to Vegas is practically a nine-hour drive. So they did not drive. They flew, right? I mean, yeah, they yeah. could They had have. to have, yeah. So they had to have flown. And the flight is only about 90 minutes. But I still wondered, like, gosh, they got there awfully fast. And I just always think maybe this is with 2022 inflation airfares and things. I just think a last minute ticket to anywhere is so expensive. Who can afford this? Yeah. And yeah. I don't know. And then, like, there just happened to be one at exactly that time. Because it seems like they got there later that night. Yeah. No, I think they did. Now, one thing I will say for Vegas, the airport there, which I believe is called McCarran. I didn't look this up, so maybe I'm wrong on the name. It's, like, at the end of the strip. Okay. It is one of the closest airports to the actual town that it is providing service to that I've ever seen in my life. They know why people are going to Vegas, right? And they're like, they let's absolutely just, do. And let's you just... constantly see planes flying in okay. over the strip. So once they got there, they could get to wherever they were very quickly. I just think they're pretty bad with money. Um, <laughs> but I mean, also they're worried, but I did think it was a, a strange choice. I thought the the weirdest part was couching it with like Camille being like, to Adam on the phone, like, make sure you're handling this. And I thought, I guess I get that you're worried, but I wondered why she didn't want to go and instead was like, have the boys go and why she thought they would be more capable or not, not them, just Adam. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) More capable than Sarah. But then I'm like, well, I guess that's like their entire character is that he's the responsible one. I guess it checks out. But if I were Sarah, I think I'd be pretty offended. Like, you know, but then I thought, well, she does say maybe get the form to the doctor when when Zeke is about to, like, rip his stuff out. But then I'm like, I don't think Adam could have stopped him either. I I don't know if anyone could have with the possible exception of Camille. And then by the time Adam and Crosby get there, they don't contribute anything except now Zeke is excited to be, you know, hanging out with three of his kids. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, I think it's all worth it just for the text that they send Julia in that moment, which <laughs> I know we'll get yeah. to. Yeah. I mean, but I, I, yeah, the whole thing to me, I was just like, it feels like a way to just get more people in Vegas, I guess. Um, yeah. But whatever. And I also think you reveal something that is pretty true about the characters, which is, Adam's reputation for responsibility, I think, is kind of unearned. Yeah. Because I think you're right. He he couldn't have prevented anything that happened. Well, and he didn't yeah. once he got there. Yeah. I think Camille just trusts him yeah. more than the others. Yeah. But... Yeah, he he's no miracle worker. Yeah, he gets there and he's like, "We're Sarah taking you back to that." Fine. Yeah, he's like, "We're taking you back to that hospital," and then he just totally doesn't. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. he, he acts like I'm going to fix all this, and then they just keep. Well, you got to split the eights or whatever, so they stay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Hank does say you have to split. The eights. <laughs> <laughs> that was very funny. Very I did funny. enjoy that. Yeah. So. Yeah, boy, this is fascinating. The idea of Adams 
reputation being a bit unearned. But I think that's so realistic. Like, I don't think that's an oversight on the show's part at all. I think that is such human nature. Like, whatever reputation you sort of garner for yourself, it's very hard to change that. Like, such a dumb, small example is that I didn't date really in high school. I don't know how other people thought of me. I don't think I was like deeply unpopular or anything like that. I think I was more just like overlooked, not noticed. And I think people didn't think of me as like attractive. And for a long time, I really wasn't, you know, I had severe acne and stuff like that. But my husband has commented more than once when we go back and look at old pictures at how in my senior year, I look pretty much like I looked for the rest of my adult life, which is attractive. I will say that. And he's always like, I think it's so fascinating that like no one asked you out, you know? And I'm like, no one noticed. I was unattractive. So it's, that was the story in their heads. And so it wasn't until I got to college and met new people that I was asked out. And so I like to give that example because I'm like, it's a powerful thing. It really is. Like whatever we think of people to some degree that defines them and it defines how they see themselves. And, you know, I mean, Adam just thinks of himself as being responsible. Everyone turns to me, but yeah, he didn't do any better than Sarah. (laughs) So anyway, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, in other news, Julia's dating some guy. Yeah. Boy, is she. (laughs) And I was, yeah, right. When that first shot happened, I wrote down, whoa, what a way to reveal that Julia is not back together with Joel. Yeah. Mid coitus. (laughs) Arguably the most explicit sex scene we've had on Parenthood. Do you think? I think so. I think so. I mean, maybe there's Zeke and Camille in the laundry room. Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that wasn't explicit. It just lasted. It lasted a long time, but it wasn't the sex part. It was like the four play part with with them and then like Hattie and Alex had that scene once but it was like very playful and it was like silhouetted and shadowed and I don't think it was the actual so like that's the thing that got me usually on a show like Parenthood I feel like you usually cut away as the actual sex is about to happen yeah like you did last season with with Amber and Ryan right like they're they're kissing and everything and then before they actually get to sex let's cut away so this was interesting to like oh yes they're drop into the sex drop into the sex and i I think I remember when this show originally aired that maybe the reason they did this was for a moment, you can't really see who she's having sex with, right? And like, so you think it might be Joel or you think it might be Evan Knight who seems to have disappeared Um, or, (laughs) you know, or they couldn't get that actor back. (laughs) Yeah, I guess not. He's just gone. Um, Or maybe he'll be back later, but uh, he certainly isn't anywhere as the, as the school is about to open, which, um, Yeah. yeah, which is weird. But anyway, yeah. And so I thought maybe that was why they did it. I also have a quick PS. I remember mentioning this way long ago, I want to say maybe season two. And I said that there, there was a scene where Julia and Joel are having sex in like season two and Sydney walks in and it's set to a very fun Beck song. And I said, this is not the last time that people will be having sex to a Beck song because I, that was Beck that they were having Whoa. sex to. I love that song. It's one of my favorite songs ever. And around that time, Mark and I went to see Beck in, in concert. And so 
I remembered that season six opener had my favorite Beck song. Um, what song is it? Um, I think it's called, oh gosh, that's so embarrassing, Blue Moon, I want to say. Um, and it's it's just this beautiful song. And it's perfect for a montage. So I was really glad that they had that. Were there lyrics of like, tired of being alone? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I did notice that. It was perfect because it, that part lined up with when Julia is having sex with this guy, like, I'm so tired of being lonely. Like, yeah. and that checks out. That seems right. So, yeah, it was it was really, it was a perfect song for so many different occasions, you know? Like, that's when you first, like, it, it's the end of Amber's thing, and then it's seeing Aida walk, and then it's that. And so it's like a, a montage at the start of the episode instead of the end. Yeah. Yeah. Julia's relationship with this guy, who they actually don't name in the whole episode. They call him Mr. Jeffries. Oh, yeah, that's true. that's all we hear. But his name is Chris. All throughout the episode, they portray their relationship as very hot and heavy, super sexual. Yeah. And it had me wondering on my second watch, is that the most effective storytelling strategy? And I, I, I wondered why they chose to fixate on that. And maybe it's just because... Their relationship is pretty new, and mm-hmm. that is probably the phase that they would be in. Yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, it didn't feel inauthentic, but I just thought it doesn't exactly endear me to the guy. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, well, he's so sexy. You should really be with him. Like, <laughs> he, he is very attractive, but so is Joel. It's not like Joel wasn't attractive. Right. It's not like that's what was wrong with Joel, <laughs> yeah. who I have to say was looking very well-rested and sun-kissed. I agree. Episode. I thought Joel looked fantastic. Especially that first scene at the school. I'm like, <laughs> he can work on my plumbing too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, and then it made me think, like, would the most effective storytelling be that she should be dating someone with a trait that Joel doesn't have. Oh. But then I started thinking, well, what trait could another boyfriend have? A, a positive trait. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be a real contrast to Joel. I mean, maybe a gregarious yeah, guy for the that's party. That's exactly what guy. I was about to think. Yeah. Like yeah. But beyond that, I'm like, nice, Joel's nice. Hot, Joel's hot. Yeah. Kind, Joel's kind. Good yeah. with kids. Joel. It's like, well, yeah, Joel's perfect. So <laughs> they have created they a of... perfect character. Yeah. yeah. He was back to being funny in this episode too. Like when Christine yeah. is like, if you have any men, he's like, well, not in the truck, but you know, like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, there he is. Yep. He's officially perfect. Yeah. I, it's a, it's a good point. And I wondered maybe they weren't trying to have us be torn in any way. Maybe we're meant to be like Camille and be like, um, if Joel wants to get back, maybe you just should. And it's just like Julia's hesitation alone or something. I don't, I don't know. Cause I was like, Oh, I wonder if anybody out there is like, this guy's so hot. Just go with him. Cause also there was something about him that bugged me. And I, I think he seemed smug. I'm basing this literally off of one episode, but he, I thought, I thought he seemed like a creep. Okay. And it was hard to say what it was. It wasn't the actual like sex part. That's fine. I felt like I was peeking in on something I'm not supposed to see there. So I like, you know, that seemed fine. But like afterwards when he was just so like the way he walked into the room after like, (laughs) look at what we just did. I don't know. And the way that like, he like basically hangs up the phone while she's, Talking. That was it for me. Yeah. I'm like, let her finish her fucking phone call, you 
asshole. Yeah, he's just it like be really mad. Whatever I have to do is way more important. And I thought, boy, you just got that dress on. I'm taking it right off. Yeah, again. I'm like, she's trying you to get, get ready dressed. for work. Like, yeah, like, yeah. are you animals? Like, have sex later tonight if you are. You know, it's fine. Like, I don't know. Yeah, there was something about it that I was like, maybe all this is supposed to read as like sexy and passionate, but maybe I'm just too practical for all that. And I'm like, boundaries, man. She's like at work on the phone. It's not sexy time right now. It's, it's you know, I don't know. There was something yeah. about it. Although now I'm wondering, is it supposed to be a contrast of just that she's in a very fun phase of a relationship Maybe. now? And with Joel, she was in a extremely not fun Maybe, face. maybe, maybe they're maybe giving just, we're her that. We're supposed to see her like, oh, look, yeah, maybe the guy is not great. Maybe he doesn't need to be, but at least she's letting loose and enjoying herself. Yeah. And then maybe. maybe that explains why she was a little taken aback when he was all like, I'm into this or, you know, like, like, you know, let's give this a real go. And maybe she's like, oh, I thought this was just fun. You know, like I, it was interesting to oh, read yeah. the expression on her face at that point. Well, as I said, they don't mention in this episode that his name is Chris, but it is. And he says, I should never have let you go in law school or college or something. Law school, I think. Law school. She mentioned at the end of last season when she was enumerating the guys that she has slept with. Right. Fewer than five. A guy named Chris Mallow. Now, this guy's name is Chris Jeffries, not Chris Mallow. But I found people online wondering, is this the same Chris? Did they change his name? Or is it a different Chris? I mean, there's more than one Chris in the world. Yeah, but more than one Chris in the world, very common name. But I think the thing that strikes me as interesting is, so are we now to expect that she had two major relationships, both with Tim and this Chris Mallo? Uh, Wait, no, this Chris Jeffries, who she was passionate enough with that they seem like a like a like significant, like I never should have let you go in law school. They didn't have sex in law school. Like who doesn't have sex in law school? Like what I mean by <laughs> what I mean. I object. I object. <laughs> what I mean by that is it's not like it was high school where a lot of people like dated even seriously, but you know, weren't ready to have sex or something. I yeah. feel like if you're dating someone seriously and you've had sex with other people, I find it a little strange that that just wouldn't be an aspect of that relationship, especially look at them now. It seems to be what it's entirely based on, you know? So yeah, I I just, that's what made me think it was maybe the same person. Maybe he changed his name. Yeah. Maybe he had a step parent's name added to his, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he's in the witness protection program. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. I hadn't. In other news though, she's working again. Yes. Which is great. I don't know why she couldn't have done that a year ago. (laughs) Saved her marriage, but whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Like, well, this was a good idea, Julia. But it's weird. You just work and don't screw someone in the office. (laughs) I don't know. It is weird because they sort of made it seem like she wanted, I mean, they did. They made it seem like she wanted to go back to work last season, but Leon had like ruined her name. So now I'm like, why is she able to get this job if she couldn't last year? Maybe enough time has passed. I don't know. But yeah, it all feels a little contrived, I guess. But I am glad she's working because she's obviously happier and more confident when she's working. Yeah. A subtle detail, but I really laughed when Julia's playing the game with her kids and then her phone rings and she says, oh, it's grandma. (laughs) If you listen closely, you hear Sydney say, "Ugh, that's going to take forever. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. 
And I have to say, it reminds me of when I was a kid, my mom's mom would call every Friday night. And of the many things I look back on and think, God, I was such a jerk to my mom. I, we, I would openly be like, Ugh, when are you going to get off the phone with grandma? In, <laughs> especially in my childhood perception, they were on the phone for hours. And I'm sure they weren't. But also Friday night when I was a kid was always our pizza night. The whole family would order pizza and we'd watch TGIF. That was so, literally my Friday night with my family. Yeah. yeah, And we were like sometimes like waiting. Well, we can't order pizza until mom gets off the phone with grandma. Wow. And then now I look back and think like we only had so many years with grandma. Why was I such a jerk to my mom who just wanted to talk to her own mother? Anyway. Oh, perspective, though. It also felt really real. I'm like, yeah, Sydney would say that because <laughs> I said it. <laughs> I really did enjoy the just the, like, moment of calm, though, before she gets this upsetting news about her dad that she's just playing Clue with her kids and they're, like, getting along and Sydney and Victor aren't bickering. It was nice to show that things can be um, more than one thing, but also some time has passed and maybe they're more yeah. used to these routines and they're not so upset about the new dynamic. Yeah. And hearkening back to the medical emergency, I thought the tone of it all throughout was really well handled. Like I loved how she took the news when she got it, that she wasn't flying off the handle. She wasn't a sobbing mess. It was just like, oh, my dad collapsed. Yeah. Can you stay here? And I'm just going to go check on my mom. Like, it felt serious, but not overly dramatic. Yeah, she was just, like, maybe a little rattled, you know? Yeah. yeah. It was it was very good. I agree. And I liked Camille not flying to her husband's side. Like, okay, he's not alone. There's people with him. I know where he is and exactly what's happening. I'm checking up on it. Yeah. But until I have more reason to be concerned, I'm not going to flip out. You mentioned her conversation with Julia. I'm speaking of Camille. Yeah. Let's dissect this a little bit. Yeah. So what are you doing here? Where are the kids? I just came for you. I mean, Joel was over. He came over right when you called, so he's with the kids. Joel, it was so good to see him. He looks great. You mentioned that And Christina told me that he was up practically half the night at the school fixing the plumbing. Yeah, I heard that too. (laughs) So you two are talking. No, not really. Um, So what hospital is he at? Uh, sunrise. Okay, sunrise. But I saw the way he looked at you, you know? <laughs> and I, I got the sense that he may finally be coming around, so. Well, he may have waited too long. Oh, come on, meaning what? Meaning I waited for him for a very long time and I had to stop waiting and I'm trying to live my life. Hey, I know headstrong men, right? I know it could be very frustrating. But when you have someone like Joel, you know, <laughs> you don't give up on him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I liked that conversation. Uh, I wouldn't like it if I were Julia because it would drive me crazy. <laughs> but I enjoyed it because it felt so real. The same way I often enjoy Renee stuff that I know I would not enjoy if, if it were me. Um, but like that, that's just what moms do, right? They meddle. And yeah, I thought that was kind well, of fun. Is it? Because I, I wondered if it felt a little out of character for Camille. You know, you're it, right. To me, it felt like they wanted someone to say those words to Julia. Yeah. And Camille was the only person they had. Oh, that makes but, sense. But you're also, I mean, Camille does, she has some of those mom things. Like, I'm thinking of Julia at Thanksgiving mm-hmm. when she's trying to discipline Sydney. Yeah. And it's like everything Camille says is kind of wrong, even though she's not saying all that much. Yeah. I think maybe this is revealing that she might be a little bit 
more meddling with Julia than the others for some reason. Maybe that's just their dynamic for whatever reason. I'm not, I'm yeah. not sure why. Maybe because she's the baby, you know, like she yeah. just, yeah. I don't know. For whatever reason, I didn't question it. Now that you mentioned that, I'm, I'm wondering like, oh yeah. She's like a female Adam. Yeah. Yeah. And she's the baby. I could buy that. Yeah. Because she meddles more with Adam than she does with. That's well, and she. I was gonna say she meddles a lot with Crosby, but it's not meddling; it's hand holding. Yes, yeah, (laughs) it's a different that he usually welcomes. Yeah, Um, well, and now I am thinking of the time that um, Camille and Zeke went to Adam's house, season two, after Crosby had slept with Gabby, and they're like, "Come on, your family. You gotta make up. You gotta make up." So I think there are moments of that, though. I agree, it's not like her defining characteristic that she like meddles, but. I, I, whatever reason I, I went with yeah. it. Yeah. But you're right. But it was interesting. I am perturbed that they now fully seem to be framing this. Yeah. These marital problems as a Joel got his feelings hurt and is taking forever to come to his senses. Yeah. Kind of situation. I'm like, where is Julia's accountability? The issue here is not Joel waited too long. Yeah. I'm like, no, you still haven't <laughs> <laughs> taken responsibility. For your part in any of this, right. as far as I can tell. Yeah. And now Julia's just like fully in a relationship and, and Joel isn't, which, hey, whatever, it's fine. But I think, well, if one person took time to reflect and figure out what they need and want, it's Joel, not Julia. And I also was perturbed when the, Camille made like a parallel between Zeke and, and Joel, who I'm like, they could not be more different. Right. Stop <laughs> doing so the true. thing where like, oh yeah, I know what it's like to be married to a stubborn man. And I'm like, yeah, Julia doesn't though. <laughs> like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe on this issue, uh, you could call him stubborn, but I, I just, I'm like, this narrative is bonkers. <laughs> Zeke yeah. is Julia. Let's just, come on. That's what it is. So. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe Camille was identifying with Joel because she is Joel. Okay, sorry. Keep going. Maybe. Yeah. And did you notice Julia was not wearing her wedding ring? And Joel episode, was. And Joel was. I didn't notice that she wasn't, but I did notice that he was. Uh, because there was that scene where his like, hands were on her face. And it's been, yeah, yeah, that's when I noticed it too. And I'm like, okay, next time I watch, I have to see Smart. if I see a ring on Julia's hand. And she did not have one on. And, you know, even as I say all of this, it doesn't necessarily invalidate the authenticity of the character's behavior. Right. It just would frustrate me because I could easily see someone like Julia in real life being so hurt mm-hmm. by Joel needing that space or needing that time away Yeah, that she makes that the major infraction Yeah, rather than like, yeah, you kissed someone else and you like made a decision about moving your son into a different grade, kind of steamrolling what the other parent wanted. And you didn't support your husband in his professional capacity when he did you on yours. Like, yeah, I can see someone ignoring all of that and saying, well, you left. Yeah. I think that and is so now you so don't have realistic. a leg to stand on. People do that. Yeah. All the time. I just think it's really unenlightened. I do too. And kind of a defense mechanism maybe. Like, yeah. I can't stand to look at what I've done wrong. So I'm just going to blame you for this this one thing that really hurt my feelings. Yeah. Oh, and I think a lot of people are really bad at 
thinking about what they did wrong. I, I'm thinking of so many people who I will not name. <laughs> I, I, I don't like it. You know, well, no one likes it. That's true. And I shouldn't make it sound like I'm super enlightened and I love being wrong. Uh, you didn't. Wrong I'm, just, and... <laughs> I'm just copying to it. It's like, I'm one of those people. I don't like doing that. Yeah. I think with me, it's not that I enjoy that feeling. I think no one does. It's That's universal. But I do think... I'm, I, I do it though. And I think I'm pretty good at it. I mean, I think that's part of being a writer. You know, I've, I've journaled since I was like 12 and you know, my poetry to some degree is this as well, but usually it's just like journaling. It's reflecting. I want to know why I feel the way I feel. I want to know why things are happening. Often if I feel like sort of chaotic for some reason, or like things are tumultuous and I don't even know why I realize I haven't written in a while. And then I go sort of sort through it in, in my writing and I just, I, I wonder if Julia has anything like that, you know, like a way to sort of process and reflect. I mean, I think reflection, I, I say it all the time, but I think it's one of the most important things a person can do. And I guess maybe I'm just assuming that Joel has done more of that because he is on his own. And as far as we know, he's not dating anyone and, you know, still wearing the wedding ring, which I think means that he really did think of this as time apart but she kind of forced the hand as she always does and was like, are we seeing other people or not? And he's like, I guess so. And then she is, and he isn't. And I'm like, so how is this on him? Like, like I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. it. Really makes me feel bad for him. Yeah. And cause I think he still loves her. Well, I mean, it feels pretty obvious. Yeah. Him doing the plumbing at the school, him staying with the kids and the way, although that could also be, of course, he loves the kids. Right. And he's just doing so, what's right because he's a good yeah. person. Yeah. But it is still, I mean, I think we're meant to be like, wow, Joel, what a stand-up guy. And it is a very stand-up thing to do. Yeah. And helping with the school, I was just like. <sighs> yeah, I wouldn't do that. No, I'm like, <laughs> I'd be like no one pays not, him ever. Anymore. Yeah. Like, I'm like, Crosby did it last season. Christina did it this season. I mean, I'm almost like. You people should be ashamed of yourselves the way you treat Joel. Like, if yeah. I were Joel, I'd be like, should I leave just because of how much her family takes me for granted? I don't yeah. know. Like, but whatever. He doesn't seem to mind, but I would mind. It would bother me, all that free labor. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, what about Joel and Julia's moment at the end of the episode? Adam and Crosby are in Vegas now. They're not answering their phones. I don't know. There's nothing to do. So mom just went to bed. Okay. Thanks for all of this. The kids were okay? Oh, great, yeah. Okay, well, um, I'll call you when I hear anything. Oh, no, I'm not, I'm not going. I mean, not until we know Zeke's okay. Okay. You, you need um, to go to Vegas or something. I'm, I'm happy to stay with the kids. Yeah, I, I guess I might. What? I guess so. He's okay. I'm gonna kill him. <laughs> I really realized I was so upset. Just, we shouldn't... No, 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 I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm gonna go. 
for listeners who didn't watch the episode and couldn't tell from the audio, in that silence at the end, they kissed. Joel kissed her and then she pulled away. Yeah. And that's what precipitated the, we shouldn't, I'm sorry, I'm going to go. One. Also, like the way it happens, right? Okay, so they're hugging and that's mutual. And am I right that he like kisses her on the cheek and that feels very like comforting and nice? Uh, yeah. But then it like goes into like a maybe kiss. And yeah. I I did think that was super interesting. And honestly, I have a bunch of like conflicting feelings about it because if I didn't like Joel so much, and I just do, I mean, everything else in the episode is, as we've said, just shining example of <laughs> how to be a good person. And you could consider that maybe a slip up. Um, well, I think it is a slip up, but like you could consider that almost like cruel on his part or something. Like he was the one who wanted to leave and here he is kissing her and like, she's finally moved on. Why are you confusing her this way? Why are you, you know, what, what the hell do you want, Joel? Like, I think you could look at it that way, but because I care about him so much and I tend to give him the benefit of the doubt, I sort of thought of it more as like habit, you know, like something really horrible has happened. What a relief. I'm hugging the person that I hugged all the time. And this is very naturally what would happen next in a moment like that, you and I think I almost think that it wasn't like some premeditated move on his part, but like just a reflex and, or something. But yeah. I don't know that I would give many people that benefit of the doubt. And I'm curious what you thought of that scene. Well, I wrote down, do you consider Joel kissing Julia without her consent assault? But then I was just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. I, I don't think any pretty much any person would. I thought it was just a caring... Well, actually, I mean, I did think it was a caring gesture. Mostly the embrace, yeah. not so much the kiss. Yeah. And I, I agree with you that it, it started with that mutual moment of consolation. Yes. And then naturally led to another gesture that I think was mostly just caring. Yeah. But that went a little farther than she wanted it to. But I felt a feeling from him throughout the whole episode of like, I think whatever he was hung up on, he seems fine with now. Yeah. It almost seems like he is open to trying. I mean, I guess I'm agreeing with Camille. (laughs) (laughs) Even though I was like, who would say this? And what's she basing it on? A look? But what am I basing it on? A feeling. I don't know. It, it, It just seemed like. Oh, now Julia is the one who has shut the door and Joel is ready and oh. to open it back up again. I don't know that he is for sure. He doesn't say it. Right. I agree with you. I don't think that kiss was premeditated at all. Yeah. I don't think it was like, I'm going to go over there and <laughs> be a knight in shining armor during this crisis and then that'll be my way back in. Not at all. No, I don't think so. Again, though, I was like, how have they managed to flip this around? Right. That now it's like, hopefully Julia will take Joel back. If he's learned what he's done wrong, like what? He didn't do anything wrong. It's the exact opposite. And well, then I wonder, maybe he is so used to their usual pattern that he still wants to uphold it. Only this time it took like a half year to get over it instead of a couple days, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I don't know. But I also think he just kept asking her for time. And maybe now that he's had some, he has made peace with their dynamic or something or Maybe that she's back to work. He is seeing her the way he used to. Like, look, she's she's back to being herself, kind of. Like, yeah, I don't know. Or, or 
I can't really say. I also wondered in that moment, like, oh, does he have any idea that she's seeing someone? And it's at at least the point where, like, they're together sexually and talking about getting serious. Maybe he does, but I did think that might have a different effect too. Like, not that he owes this random Chris guy anything. Like, you know, this was his wife for however long, but it did make me wonder like, oh, if you know she's dating someone, it seems a little worse to kiss her than if you genuinely don't know that. And you're like, I wonder if we're there. Oh, we're not there. Okay. And it all could certainly be a like big yellow taxi. Seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Yeah. And like he must notice that she's not wearing her ring anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever is going on, I thought the scene was very effective. Yeah. I don't know exactly what it was trying to portray, but I think that is okay. Yeah. Because I don't think the characters in it know yeah. exactly what it meant. And I'm sure they're gonna leave that scene going. What did that mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As real people would do. Yeah. I thought Joel and Julia's whole dynamic in this episode felt very natural. Mm-hmm. I liked that they were clearly beyond where they were mm-hmm. most of last season. Now they are civil and respectful. Yeah. But it still feels a little tense and maybe not even tense, but like there's more boundaries there. Yeah. Than there were. It's a little more like formal. Yes. Yeah. And I thought, I would hope that's where they would be. Yeah. I mean, I would hope they'd be back together, but they clearly aren't. I, I, oh, that does lead me to say, though, I feel like with the season five finale, it does feel a little bait and switch to me. Yeah. And maybe that's just with the time jump. Certainly anything could have happened in between there. And that I'm sure when couples are trying to separate, there are moments where it feels like we could make this work. And then there would be more moments where you go, no, no we, can't. we can't. Yeah. And we only saw the last thing we saw was one of those moments of couldn't we make this work? Yeah. So I'm not really crying foul on the show. It just I, and I remember this when I first watched it in real time, being a little taken aback and like, oh, I thought they were maybe reconciling. They're clearly not. Yeah. Well, and I think that is probably why they chose to introduce Chris the way they did, where you didn't see his face at first, because I think based on the season five finale, it was quite conceivable that the person she was with was Joel. And actually, I think that scene could have been just as interesting if it were Joel. And like, that's how we find out they're back together. Or what if they're not officially back together, but they're sleeping together? That actually would have been kind of fun. Like, (laughs) you know, like, um, but also hugely dysfunctional. So it's probably good that that's not (laughs) the case. But yeah, and I'm not even saying any of that is what should have happened. I just mean, I think that's probably why they introduced him the way they did. Because I remember vividly thinking, oh my God, is this Joel? And then I'm like, oh wait, no, it's not. You find out pretty quickly when you see like the dark hair and everything. So, and I got to say, while while we're briefly still talking about Chris, I was like, who does he remind me of? And then I realized that I think he looks kind of like and sounds like a tall Jeremy Piven with like a six pack and hair. And that certainly did not endear me to him at all. <laughs> because I, I yeah. totally see what you mean. Yeah. I kept looking him up because I was like, I, Kobe McLaughlin is his name. I kept looking him up or in his credits thinking, I've seen him somewhere else, haven't I? And I haven't. Wow. He was on General Hospital for a while. Was he? Maybe I've seen him on General Hospital. But I don't know if it was when you were still watching it. Yeah. He was Hank Archer on General Hospital from December 
of 2018 to September of 2019. That is way past my general hospital watching days. Also, that name, which is a really fun soap opera name, Hank Archer. That's funny. (laughs) Uh, It did not ring a bell at all. So no, I don't know him from that. Okay. All right. But hey, good. He's still acting. He's still out there. Still around, yeah. tall Jeremy Piven with a six pack. I don't know that Jeremy Piven. I do actually find kind of funny sometimes, but I also find him smug and obnoxious. So maybe I was just transferring those feelings onto this guy. <laughs> Whatever. So well, this isn't really a storyline, mm-hmm. but in the little opening montage, yeah, that Aida sure doesn't look <laughs> like the no. infant from last season. No, and yeah, babies grow and change, but. When we were wondering last year, like, gosh, that baby looks so white. Does she always look that way? And you're like, I don't remember her looking that way in the next season. <laughs> she sure doesn't. No, I don't. I mean, she's precious. Oh, my gosh. So cute. Adorable. But, yeah, I think it's an interesting choice. And it made me wonder, does that happen sometimes? Did did we look that up or find that out? Like, that, like a baby could, like, literally, like, be born Kind of whiter I did, I, and yeah. When I yeah. looked it up, they made such a big deal when Aida was born about, oh my gosh, she looks so white. Yeah. And I did find some mommy blog saying, yeah, sometimes they look one way and then as they grow, they change. So I mean, I take it from them. I have no experience. Right. Me neither. Yeah. So I wondered if they maybe thought, oh, we'll just we'll just do that. You know, like maybe that is yeah. like a. Let's honor that experience of when a, a baby, you know, their skin tone just sort of changes as they age and develop. But like, I also thought, what a what an interesting choice all the way around, because they could have yeah. just had a baby that looked more like Jabbar, you know, like darker and then still had. I don't know. I just kind of almost wondered, like, did they just go with the baby they could get? Like, you know, maybe it's hard to get like an <laughs> infant, you know, or was that was there a point to that or I also wondered, like, surely some mixed race children look a certain way and stay that way. Like, you know, like, like, and so I wondered why not have her still look white? You know, I don't mean to criticize one way or the other. I just find it very interesting that the, the baby looks so different from one season to the next. And I wondered if that was totally random or if there was like a choice behind that, if maybe they were getting criticism for the baby at the baptism having like blonde hair essentially <laughs> like and right. the, yeah i mean i don't i don't know so and you know if the series had gone on much much longer yeah i think it could have been an interesting choice to have aida be very white mm-hmm. and then explore at some point the fact that jabbar and his sister look so different yeah and that maybe people wouldn't assume they were brother and sister although now that i'm thinking about this Victor and Sydney. Yeah. Like that would be a great, those kids are grown already. Yeah. They would have friends who might say, are you guys even related? And then in their case, they would have the adoption to introduce the wrinkle of like, well, biologically, we aren't related. Yeah. Our kids saying we're not really siblings. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, my brother and I got that. That's all about. Yeah. Yeah. My, people always thought, I, I know I've mentioned this before, but people always thought my brother and I were joking when we would say we were siblings. And of course, we're not biologically, but he is my, you know, real brother. But but yeah, like, you're right. It would be interesting for biological siblings, the exact same biological parents to look different. And maybe to explore, like, 
if the show had continued, you know, like if Aida got treated differently or better or, you know, like yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. That's super interesting. And that's all we get of Jasmine, right? <laughs> and Jabbar. And Jabbar. That's all we get. I hope this doesn't count towards their 11 episodes. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> well, shifting to Sarah and Hank. Okay. I have to say Sarah and Hank's banter, I thought, was instantly better here mm-hmm. than it was in season five. Yeah. Like, okay. They're kind of enjoyable as a couple. Yeah. Yeah. And the espresso and he doesn't like it. And yeah. That's he cute. doesn't take his marching orders from anyone, but he waits for permission from her. Like, I'm like, okay, this is all. It's nice to see their dynamic. Fun. Yeah. 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 And I like that their relationship felt lived in. Mm-hmm. I did. Because like, that. like, as she said at the end of the last season, like it wouldn't be a small thing to start up again. I'm like, yeah, because you aren't starting from the beginning. Yeah. You already have a history. And this did feel like. This is beyond people who've been dating for three or four months. Right. I actually thought she lived with him at first. And then I realized there were a couple things that made me realize that. I mean, Sandy literally says, is she living here? And he's like, no. (laughs) And then at the end of the episode, when Amber visits her, it's at her old like basement apartment. Yeah. But which does Carl still live in that building? Oh, how awkward. awkward. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe he got a proper doctor house at this point. He's like, you know what? It didn't <laughs> work out with the super. Yeah. Big giant bachelor pad. <laughs> They're roommates. Um, <laughs> it's a reality show. <laughs> Coming to fall this fall on NBC. <laughs> Yeah. Carl and Joe. <laughs> I mean, we'd watch. <laughs> like, we just would. Um, I would. I would. But, yeah, so, like, their dynamic felt so lived in that I actually thought they lived together at first. I wonder if we're meant to think that or not necessarily, and I just made an assumption. I don't know. I wondered. I was yeah. like, did they do this already? I mean, yeah. it's the morning. She's, like, introducing coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sandy comes over with Ruby, and that is the first scene in this episode with no Bragermans. Yep. <laughs> My memory of this season is that there are more of those than I care to watch. Yeah. Then Dinner with Ruby was the second Braverman-less scene. Yep. <laughs> and then there was a third one when Sandy comes back, and I was again like, are none of the regular cast members in this scene? But... I did want to discuss what Sandy comes over to talk about with Hank. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with Ruby. It's not working. The two of us, and she just, she pushes my buttons like nobody's business. And I just, I, I can't handle her half the time. I know, I know. It's frustrating. She can be frustrating. I, I, I... The truth is, I didn't just get transferred to San Francisco. I asked to be transferred here. Why would you do that? She got into a bad group in Minnesota, and I'm, I'm worried about her. I, I need you to help me. I, I need us to, to do this together, and I, I I need it to be 50-50. I want to. I always wanted to do okay, 50-50. Okay, that, that's why I'm here. I mean, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm up for that. Hey. What are you doing here? No. Where am I staying tonight? You're staying here tonight. Yeah, Don't yeah. worry, nothing, nothing's changed. No, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna have fun. We're gonna go to Alcatraz tomorrow. So, okay. yeah. So okay. say goodnight to mom. Good night. Well, no. <laughs> give her a hug. No, no, no. It's a guide. It's okay. Well, she should give you a hug. I'll be in my room. All right. Oh, and by the way, the window doesn't even open. It's like a freaking prison. All right, that's not a. You'll see a prison tomorrow. <laughs> you'll know the difference. It opens. It opens. It's gonna be okay. Thank you. 
That prison line was my biggest laugh of the episode. It was <laughs> yeah. very funny. And then funny. I loved what it just, it opens. Like, <laughs> like, that was her big concern <laughs> from that conversation. You know, I did think one way to make me like Hank more, surround him with a horrible family. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Ruby was just awful. Oh, Sandy, my God. Uh, okay. Like, I sympathized with her a yeah. little bit. And I actually did want to say I really appreciated that they showed a parent, in this case, Sandy, just being annoyed with her kid. Yeah. Like her saying she pushes my buttons. Oh. And I thought that is something I hear from my friends who are parents Yeah, a lot that I feel like this show hasn't explored that much. Yeah. And I don't have kids, but <laughs> I would want to see stories about parents fed up with their own kids to make me feel less alone, I would think. Because it seems universal. No one I mean, I just saw my dad recently and we were talking about me having kids or not having kids. And he said, it'll be the best thing you ever do and the worst thing. Wow. Because when it's good, it's the best thing in your life. And when it's bad, it's really bad. Yeah. (laughs) I imagine. Wow, that's honest. But I didn't take it as an insult. You know, I thought, yeah, it it would be. And I would want to see that on TV, not just wholesome, you know, sun-dappled meadows. (laughs) (laughs) From what I understand, I mean, some of my friends have expressed feeling resentful and blindsided at how difficult parenting is, largely because of how it's portrayed on parenthood. No, I mean, on... (laughs) Caleb almost did a spit take, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Bad time to take a drink. No, but like everywhere, right? You know, and and I think that <laughs> just an aftershock, just <laughs> laughing again on parent, on parent. But no, I mean, I do think that's interesting. Like, I feel like the first example that is coming to my mind where they, in the past, allowed a character on this show to seem annoyed and fed up was Julia in that episode where she kind of yelled at the kids uh, when she almost tripped on over the toy on the stair. And like Julia's guilt for that reaction felt such that we were all supposed to think, oh my God, that was like a monstrous moment for Julia. Where I imagine if you were a parent, that's probably just a random day. Where, yeah, you know, multiple times a day, yeah. you would snap and yeah, I'd be like, pick up your toy. Shut up! How many times have I told you? <laughs> yeah, and so I thought, okay, the fact that we're supposed to see that as being like some sort of terrible low point for Julia is interesting <laughs> to me, yeah. you know. And I wonder if maybe they felt safe showing a parent being like that openly annoyed because it was Sandy who gives a shit. Um, Like it's not someone beloved, but then I think that's really unfair because not just sort of annoying ex-wives get annoyed with their kids. Everyone does. And I I almost feel like a little upset that the show is like maybe unwilling to explore that with the beloved characters that they don't want you to think, you know, poorly about. But then that's very true. And then it sets up Sandy is like, well, she's not a good parent. Like all the Bravermans love their kids all the time. (laughs) Uh, Although then it just hit me that, that, season one episode where um, Sarah found out that Amber had plagiarized and she says like, what a bitch. And I I did think that was horrific. And I was like, what? And so Melissa, what do you want? You know, you can't have it both ways. (laughs) Like what? Maybe, maybe, but that does seem a little harsh, 
but the, it, that's interesting to me now that I'm thinking about it. The show doesn't present that as like a monstrous thing to say, which I kind of thought it was. But Julia just snapping at the kids, not even cursing at them or anything. They were like, boy, what a low point for, for Julia. Anyway, I, yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, while I don't thrill at the thought of more <laughs> scenes with Sandy and Ruby, yeah. I have to say, I do think it's an interesting conflict to introduce into Sarah and Hank's relationship. Yeah. And it is a conflict that is not about a couple getting together, but about a couple being together. Yes. Yeah. Hank has a family yeah. already. And if Sarah and Hank are going to be together, they will have a blended family. And blending would be difficult. Yes. It feels like a very natural problem to arise. Yeah. Yes, they have the added complication of, well, we moved these characters to Minnesota. So that maybe feels a little like, oh, they're back. But- yeah, they they would be in Hank's life one way or another. Yeah. The fact that they moved back just lets them actually be on the show. You know what I think really helped with that? Like really helped was the scene you just played where Sandy says, I didn't just get transferred back. I asked to be because yeah. Ruby was falling in with this bad crowd. I thought that was like two sentences that really made the whole thing feel less contrived. It also yeah. explained why Ruby, who is... Up to this point seemed maybe a little moody, but nothing like this, like maybe explain her attitude and behavior. I mean, I work with kids that age and this felt really extreme to me. It's not what I usually deal with. Of course, I'm a teacher and not a parent, so maybe it's a whole different story at home. But I really thought that worked. It did a lot of work to to say that. I'm like, okay, I buy that. Like she's becoming different and you need to get her back to her roots and closer to another parent who can help you and... I get that. And I also liked, at least my impression was not that, uh uh-oh, Sandy's back. This is going to be like a romantic. Yeah, I didn't get that I didn't get that at all, which I was grateful for because that. From either of them. No, from either of them. Or from Sarah. Yeah. Even, yeah, exactly. Even when he said to Sandy that she looked nice, I just thought that was like a kind thing to say. Yeah. And I really love that because that feels much more realistic to me. The conflict would be, oh, now these people are around. How do we, you know, but the show yeah. usually isn't very good at that, to be honest, because every time Seth came around, it wasn't just, oh, this is complicated. You know, it was like <laughs> running off to be with him and like, you know, and so I, I think it's nice to see an ex truly be an ex um, navigating yeah. that. Yeah. And I liked when Hank told Sarah, mm-hmm. it also didn't feel like it was planting any kind of TV drama, of like, uh-oh, trouble ahead. She took the news like an adult and was like, well, that'll be great for Ruby. And and I, it seemed like she did know that he always wanted to be more involved yeah. and was happy for him. And it wasn't like, oh, no, now I have to make nice with Hank's... No, you'll figure it all out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she has kids. I think that totally makes sense. She would have that reaction. Like, yeah, your kids are important to you. I get that. It's just my kids are a little bit older, so they're not going to be living with me, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, although you never know, because Sarah did return to home at 40, you know, or whatever. So <laughs> could happen. Well, let's discuss Chambers Academy a little bit. Okay. I felt like Joe sort of spoke for a lot of us. You built an entire school for your kid, and now he's not even going to it. It's harsh. <laughs> I really liked that random guy. I thought he was very funny. He did a lot with a little, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So Max doesn't want to go to the school. Part of me is like, who cares? But (laughs) there were, there were some good scenes in this storyline. I thought I really liked 
Max and Christina watching paint dry. I did too. And then this scene that arose from that. Hey, bud. I know what happened last year was so incredibly painful. They peed in my canteen. I know. And it was so awful. It was. You know, that's part of the reason why your dad and I dreamt of creating a school like this. So that every kid could come to school and fit in, not be afraid, never be bullied, ever. And we don't want this school just to be, you know, an okay place. We want it to be a place where everybody can just be happy. We want it to be wonderful. But we're gonna need your help. You should have asked me first. I'm not gonna be attending Chambers Academy. I, I, maybe I'm a little embarrassed to admit, like I was super annoyed with him. Like your parents go to all this trouble and you're not even gonna go. You're acting like you have say, <laughs> you, you know, you, you don't. But then, I don't know, this conversation I think did help, especially him saying, you should have asked me. And I did think, well, that's, that's a much more nuanced, interesting thing than he's just throwing a fit. It was good that they reminded us about peeing in the canteen. Like he has real true trauma about going to school with other kids. And how does he know that even though this is a new environment, that there won't be bullying? Like when, when Christina said never bullied ever, I thought that is a promise that I don't think you should make. Like that is, you know, I mean, you're doing everything in your power to try to create that environment, which is a lot. But anyway, I I thought, oh, you can't control kids completely. Yeah. But then... Him saying, you should have asked me, I thought, wow, how fascinating that they did set out to do all this. And they never really ran it by their son and said, what do you think of this? And especially when you hear that what he wants is to be homeschooled and then to go to Hank's in the afternoon, I actually thought that makes a lot of sense. Like not saying that that's better. He does need to learn to socialize with other kids his age, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's all true, but it certainly would have been a lot less work for Adam and Christina and a lot less expensive, et cetera, et cetera. If they had just come up with a plan that worked for Max, but they went very grand about it and decided to open the whole school for him. But is it really? Yeah. I, I thought the exact same thing. That one line, I was like, but they should have talked to him first. Yeah. And I wrote down, maybe not asked him first, like they need his permission. But that's a huge undertaking meant to cater to one person. And we never saw them even like feel him out about it. Yeah. And I thought it feels indicative of their approach to parenting him sometimes. Yeah. But one thing I loved about Christina in that scene, I loved her saying that they need his help. Mm-hmm. And I thought they need to ask more of him mm-hmm. <laughs> from time to time. Yeah. And, and I thought that's a great way to approach it. I think mm-hmm. ask him for his help. Yeah. It just felt like, wow, they never ask anything of Max. Yeah. I feel like, I, and here she was saying, we went to all this trouble. Now's the time for you to chip in. Yes. Here's what we need you to do. And I thought, yes, that's yeah. what a parent should do is sometimes 
force their kids to do things that the kid doesn't know will be good for them because yeah. kids don't know anything. Yeah. And that's the parent's job. I Yeah. Not that I should be, you know, critical of them because, again, I'm not a parent. I feel like we haven't said this in a while and now we've both said it <laughs> in this one. It's a um, nice final season. It callback. is. It's a callback. But <laughs> we're still childless. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So it's it's not like I know how Adam and Christina should parent. I, I really don't. And I don't know what I would be like. And I would make <laughs> tons of mistakes. But I, I do think their their biggest one really is catering the whole world to Max, which you've mentioned very recently. And, and other people, I know our, our guest Juliet has mentioned this several times, and how it's well-intentioned, but maybe not the right thing to do. Uh, and And boy, I mean, it would be the wrong approach, like you said, to ask him permission, like, is it okay if we open the school? I mean, if it's something that they really want to do for Max, but also to help other kids, which I do think is an important piece to this, because if they only wanted to help Max, then I think homeschooling makes a lot of sense. But And to the show's credit, they had Evan bring up that very issue. Yes. And they even had Adam and Christina kind of realize, oh, that is why we're doing it. Yeah. And then have to decide, no, 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 it's for other people too. Yeah. Good. Good. You should be clear-eyed about that before you go into it. Yeah. And I almost wonder if maybe the show is trying to write an oversight that I hadn't even noticed last season, which is that they never once have a scene with Max about Chambers Academy last season. This is, I think, our first one. You just see Adam and Christina, and then we get Julia in on it, and we get Mr. Knight in on it, you know, but we don't get them talking to Max ever, right? Until yeah. until this episode. And so maybe they realized, we need a storyline that <laughs> about <laughs> Max attending this school. And it's a pretty good one. Yeah, I mean, at first, I really did think that it seemed just further evidence that Max is entitled. And then I realized, I think it's more complicated than that. But I think the fact that he's entitled is mixed up with that. And I largely do blame his parents for that. I mean, I, I think they don't hold him accountable nearly often enough. I think he is much more capable than they give him credit for. And they act like this is them being such good parents, like not being demanding and like being super understanding about his his autism. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but look at how much Amber was able to help him and, you know, in certain episodes and look at Sarah holding him accountable and, you know, last season and, and how much Gabby was able to help by like saying, no, no, we're not doing that. We're doing this. And I'm like, boy, his parents don't do that hardly ever. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I found it super refreshing that the resolution of this episode, yeah, there was a little bit of heartfelt sincerity in it, but mostly I felt like it was just Adam getting fed up and laying down the law. Yeah. Ham and cheese, no lettuce, no mayo, no mustard. Cut off the crust, sliced it diagonally, just how you like it, sir. I won't be needing a bag lunch because I won't be eating lunch at that school. Max, this is the first day at Chambers Academy. I know. Good luck. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Mom already told me. It's going to be a wonderful school, and I will need to give it a try. Okay, well, that's not exactly what I was going to say. I just wanted to remind you that your mother worked her butt off these last eight months making the school happen, and she had to go through a lot. She had to meet with the district. She had to go to the mayor's office. Bob Little is a jerk. He is. And you know what? Your mother convinced that jerk to make the school happen. She recruited 39 students. 38 students. 39. 38 students. I'm not a student at Chambers Academy. 
All right, Max, listen, your mom spent every ounce of her energy when she wasn't taking care of you or your sister, making this dream happen for you and other kids like you. Do you get that? This school isn't for me. Put your shoes on, pack your book bag, go to school today. Not for you, for your mother. Yeah. I just really loved that. And I'm not saying it's good parenting to tell your kids, you're doing it because I said so. (laughs) I think that's actually kind of horrible parenting. But I think it's parenting that happens a lot. Yeah. And at a certain point, it is kind of just the way things go. I don't know. Here's here's what we're doing because I'm in charge. Yeah. And you are my charge. Yeah. So put on your fucking shoes (laughs) and get out the door and go to the school. Yeah. I don't know when you thought this became a debate among equals. It's not. Now, I actually kind of think it's good parenting sometimes. Like, I don't. I don't think it's good parenting yeah, if that's I agree. if that's the default and that's how all conversation <laughs> happens. Then I think that's pretty terrible. But I do think there's a point where that is what needs to happen. I think sometimes what Adam and Christine are a little guilty of is is treating everything like it's open for discussion or Maybe they don't do that, but they allow Max to frame everything like it is. And I think they do sometimes need to remind him, you are not the one making decisions. I love how you phrase that. This is not a debate among equals. (laughs) I am in charge. (laughs) I think sometimes that's what you have to do. And, you know, honestly, one of my classes that's the most difficult this year, they want to make everything into a debate. And I'm the sort of person where I don't want to just be like, oh, because I said so. And so like, sometimes they'll ask like, what is the meaning of this? What, why is this a significant thing to do? And I'll like talk about it with them to, to a point. But after a while, I'm like, this is a standard and we're meeting it. And we're, we're doing it. We are wasting time. And I can see the other kids in the class looking relieved when I do that, honestly, because I think they're like, God, this kid is just like getting us like, it's just going to take longer now. You know, like, it's not yeah. like she's going to change her mind. But now we're having a conversation about why we're doing it instead of just doing it, you know. And I think, yeah, th- th- there needs to be balance. It's good to like, really understand the meaning behind things. But sometimes it's like, you're just trying to get out of it and you're not going to. So let's go. Yeah. 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 Now also speaking as a professional teacher, did this episode portray first days the way that um, (laughs) they usually go? Is it just parents and children lining up and greeting the headmistress in your experience? (laughs) No, (laughs) but, but it is so different. I mean, there are 39 students at this school. There are 1,600 at the school I teach at. So that would take all damn day. You know, that wouldn't work. Um, usually it's more like kids getting dropped off, you know, and then the, the doors get unlocked at a certain point and then everyone floods in. And <laughs> yeah, although we do have like events like parents night, you know, like I guess we call it like open house, but where parents can come and meet all the teachers and stuff. And that's not so different, but usually you've already been teaching for a couple weeks I did think at first, though, that you meant, is it like this to be literally like building the school as like the school's about to start? And I I would say normally no, but I will say there have been a couple of years where construction has been going on like right up until the moment. Remember the year of 2019, 2020, 
we thought our biggest challenge ever was that our school was still going under major uh, reconstruction. And so certain classrooms were not ready. And we had to like share rooms with each other and um, like travel around. It was like chaos. It was terrible. And it was because the school just wasn't ready. But guess what? You have to open. And we were like, God, we'll never, ever encounter anything so horrible. And then, you know, there was a pandemic later that school year. <laughs> and we're like, oh, I wish we And then were. they had plenty of time to finish all the construction. <laughs> then they did. They actually, it did help everybody get back on track. <laughs> we finished uh, on schedule because of the pandemic. But yeah, I, I mentioned this because at first I was like, I cannot even believe this. They're still working on the school. And then I thought, actually, I kind of can believe it. <laughs> that, that really might be down to the wire. I could I could see that. But yeah, what did you think of everyone lined up to meet the headmistress? I mean, I just thought this is purely for television. Yeah. Although I will say it's not the first day of school, just like any other year. It's the first day of this school ever. Yeah, yeah. And there are only 39. It's kids. a manageable thing to meet everybody. Yeah. And it does feel like maybe you would want that on the first day, if possible. Yeah. And if you're dealing with special needs students makes sense that maybe their parents would be more likely to be there. And, you know, this is, oh, we just left. I mean, everyone there left some other school for the purpose of coming here. So it's not like I'm like, this would never happen. Yeah. I just thought this is not a typical first day. Here's something I found myself wondering, and I wish we had like your cousin Meredith to ask you about this because I just don't know. If it's true that Evan Knight is not on the show anymore because um, it's the first day and he's literally nowhere to be seen. (laughs) And as far as we know, that's the only teacher we'd ever met (laughs) (laughs) for this school. And the only adults we see on this first day are Adam and Christina, who, to my knowledge, don't have education degrees (laughs) or any experience teaching. I then wonder... Is she headmaster, headmistress, or whatever we call her? Yeah, I Is this, I mean, she sure seems in charge. Is this allowed? Like, that you can just open a school with no credentials? And I mean, we know that Adam and Christina are very capable, smart, educated people. But I'm also, I mean, it's this kind of thing that makes me a little resentful, where I'm like, well, I had to go to college to get this job. (laughs) I have a master's plus 60. I am highly qualified for this job. And I guess they can just do it. I don't know. That's, uh, yeah, whatever. It's fine. I don't like it when my expertise is treated like it's not expertise. And yeah, I I know that the show isn't meaning to be like, Melissa Fight Johnson, anyone could do what you do. But... (laughs) It's a little sad. <laughs> yeah, I my memory is that Christina is so heavily involved in the school in this last season that I would guess she probably is the headmaster, headmistress, whatever. Uh, whatever, yeah. Mistress is such a weird word, but... <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so... It reminds me a little of Tammy on Friday Night Lights, Uh, who I, you know, adore, but like she just randomly became like a counselor and then a principal. And we'd never like, did she have the credentials for those things? Like the show just seems to treat it like this is just a job you can get. (laughs) I remember on This Is Us, I really appreciated this was like a little kind of side note thing. It was Kate 
who really wanted to like do something more meaningful with her life. And someone got her an interview at a school uh, because she's a great singer and to be like the choir teacher. And the interview was going great. And then the principal was like, okay, so um, we just need to get your um, credentials. We need to get your, you know, your college degree, et cetera, et cetera. And she was like, oh, I, I'm a few classes short. I don't have a degree in this. And then he was kind of like, well, I gave you this interview as a, like, a favor to someone. I assumed everything was he, – he was just like, I can't hire you. You're not qualified. <laughs> and I appreciated that. And that actually then made it so that she went back to school to get those last – credits. And I was huh. like, great. <laughs> then she can go do it. I, I mean, I just thought. Especially is... at a public school. Yeah. Cause like my friend MK now teaches at a high school. She doesn't have a, an education degree, mm. but she teaches theater uh-huh. and she does have a theater. Well, it's technically a music degree, but it was in theater. And then she has years upon years of professional That's experience. True. And is it a private so academy? At a private yeah, school, yeah, that makes they sense. can hire someone like that who, at least in that regard, is fully qualified. Oh, yeah. Like more but so. But at a than, public school, yeah. I mean, that's a government yeah. position. Yeah. There are regulations about who's allowed to teach students. Yeah. They have to have a degree in teaching students. <laughs> Yes. So it's like a very interesting thing. Yeah. Sometimes when my students, in fact, are like, I don't even know if I'm going to go to college. I don't know if it's for me. And I always welcome that because I'm like, it's not for everybody, you know, Uh, but I'm like, you should give some thought as to what you want to do with your life, though, because I'm like, I couldn't be your teacher right now if I had decided against college. Like, this was not negotiable for me. And so, you know, I'm like, it depends on what you want to do with your life. Think on that. Um, But, yeah. You want to be a theater musician, you don't need a degree. Yeah. They don't care. I remember (laughs) when I was in college, I had a friend who was so good with computers. He was up for, like, some job against two guys with college degrees. But, like, literally... The task was like somebody like, I think broke like a computer and he was the only one who could fix it and he got the job, you know? So I think sometimes it's almost irrelevant, like who has the professional degree. And I don't mean to say that it always matters. I just get frustrated on shows that kind of act like, oh, whatever, you know, to something that I know for a fact, but I don't actually know for a fact with like a charter school. I don't know what the credentials would have to be. And maybe Christina just could be headmaster. Okay. Yeah, she clearly has a master's degree. Yeah, yeah. She said that's where she met Adam, or that's when they got married. They were both working on their master's, something. Yeah, yeah. So she's highly educated, but I'm assuming in what, political science or something? Yeah, probably not education. Although my master's isn't in education, it's in literature and poetry. But my bachelor's And am I right that to be an education. administrator in a public school even requires... Yeah. Except, I mean, similar, but specific. Additional schooling. Yeah. 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 Like if you wanted to become principal. I would have to go back to school. Yeah. I would. Yeah. So I couldn't just apply and be like, I've been a teacher for 17 years. What? Which is why when, you know, Tammy on Friday Night Lights suddenly becomes principal, I'm like, all right, like, what is her degree? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I love that show, but still it's, yeah. Yeah. Well, the last storyline in this season premiere Amber is definitely pregnant. Definitely pregnant. Yeah. This felt like another callback to the movie where Mm. Martha Plimpton. Oh my gosh. The daughter of the single parent is pregnant. That's wild. I did not even, I didn't even think about the movie at all. It's funny that scene with the ultrasound amidst all of the fallout of this Dobbs decision, reversing Roe v. Wade. 
I read an article about what they call heartbeats on ultrasounds are not technically heartbeats. According to an article from NBC News, that lub-lub sound one would hear through a stethoscope is the opening and closing of the cardiac valve. And at six weeks, those valves don't exist. Huh. Uh, So what a patient hears in an ultrasound is an electrical pulse that is usually only detectable with a transvaginal ultrasound, which translates that pulse into the sound that comes out of the machine. Fascinating. But for a lot of expectant parents, they want to sort of anthropomorphize the fetus kind of as soon as possible. And, And so in layman's terms, it's like, that's the heartbeat. Yeah. And because it, if I'm understanding correctly, it will eventually sort of develop into that, but it's not what we think of as a heartbeat. Yeah. Technically. That's, that is interesting. Well, and it also made me wonder, like when the doctor said to Amber, you know, I have to ask, is this something that you want? Again, that's never been a situation that I've been in, never having been pregnant. So I, I wondered if that was realistic, it felt realistic to me, like to pick up on the fact that the patient hasn't told anyone, seems overwhelmed more than like excited, isn't with the father anymore, you know, like all these like little signs. It's not like this doctor asked her that out of the clear blue sky. I feel like that's not even maybe something she would have brought up if Amber was there with her mom and or Ryan and like, oh my God, listen to that. Like, you know, but- reading the room it makes sense to say that and and I thought that felt like a nice beat to make Amber really think about what she was about to embark on and is this something that she wants yeah although I also thought it was an interesting choice to never really have her discuss that with anyone in at least in this episode yeah that made me wonder has she already decided that it is In which case, I wonder what the point was of having the doctor ask that if it wasn't leading to her contemplating that very question. Yeah, good point. Yeah. I don't know. In the opening credits of this episode, the first name they said among the guest stars was Sarah Ramos. And I forgot that she was in it at all. You know what? I knew that she was back in season six, but I think I only remembered... And even this, I don't actually remember. I just know that she, I believe, is in the series finale. Yeah, she is. And I thought, okay, so Hattie comes back for the last episode. And the first episode of the last season. And my goodness, I did not realize how much I missed Amber and Hattie together. Me too. I loved it. Even though they were never like best friends, it's a relationship I really liked. And I wrote that down after their first scene where she was talking about going to Prague on the train and Amber was like copped an attitude about it. Yeah. Like, Oh my God, I missed that. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Me too. I loved every scene they had together. It was a real highlight of this episode for me, if not my favorite thing about it. And I had remembered she was in it. And the reason I remembered was because I remember them joking about Steve on that football field. I I just, I remembered that joke. I didn't remember that Amber asked about how she knew she was gay and stuff, um, or maybe not gay, but you know, like the whole journey. And I loved that because I think sometimes on shows, especially if a character isn't on the show anymore, they're just a guest 
she would just be there to support Amber and only ask about Amber's pregnancy and stuff. And I loved that it was both ways. They were both asking about each other's lives. Loved that so much. Yeah. Yeah. And I loved the scene in between when Hattie shows up and is like, I'm upset with you. Yeah. I don't want to be passive aggressive. I'm like, I love how direct Hattie was being with Amber. It felt really mature. And, but also like she's saying it out loud. And then I thought like, Oh, she's trying to be better about this. Is it like, yeah, it just felt like a nice little peek into Hattie's character. Yes. And then I loved how she did a total 180. Yes. Once Amber said she was pregnant, it just felt really believable and that they were like cool people who I'd want to be friends with. Yes. I, <laughs> like, agree. I would want my friend to cut me instant slack. Yes. Once I confess I'm going through something really major and it feels very real too. Yes. It, I just loved it all around. Yeah. Also like everyone in this episode looked great. I mean, that yeah. well, maybe not Amber. <laughs> she looked a little disheveled, <laughs> but I think that was a choice, but like Hattie looked amazing. I thought Sarah looked amazing. Joel, I've mentioned already. I thought Adam looked good with like a nice little clean haircut. I thought Max looked good. Yeah, everyone did. And I was going to say that I agree about it being a very realistic conflict. And I think those are often my favorite kind because you're never like shouting at the TV, like, oh, just communicate with each other. I mean, it lasted the perfect amount of time and... It really would be kind of a bitchy thing for Amber to say, like, it sounds like a fairy tale. Like, I, I can't, <laughs> yeah. I just, I just can't <laughs> sit here and complain about Europe. Like, you know, it would sound bitchy if we didn't know the context, I think. Right. And I love that Hattie took it as bitchy as I think any human would, or at least I would. Like, I would be like, yeah. why is she being so aggressive? And then to just go over there to settle it and then immediately cut her slack, I thought, perfectly played all around like you know and then we get to get to the really the heart of it which is them sort of bonding and catching up starting with Hattie asking if Amber wanted boy or girl tea was that like (laughs) do you want the tea that's going to make the baby a boy or a girl or was that like there are certain brands that are boy tea and certain (laughs) brands that are I didn't know I had no idea what that meant but I thought I would bring it up and see if you knew but you don't either okay so maybe we'll get an email from someone who's like um hello everyone knows that boy tea is this (laughs) (laughs) I don't know but anyway and then that that football field scene amazing but did you always like girls or do you still like guys or like how does that I don't know. I wish that I could like explain it. Like when I was with Alex, like I loved him. I didn't feel like I was faking it or like I was missing something. It was just different. Like I even like Steve. Oh my God, Steve. Oh my God. Our fight right here on this field. Oh my, I'm gonna get my revenge. Hey, I'm with child. Oh my God. Be gentle. I'm really sorry. It's a good excuse. Now we're like old. We're real life grown ups, dude. I'm gonna have a baby. Cheers. Amber, I get like that this is really hard to talk to anybody about. And I get it, like moms are the worst sometimes. They seem like it, but I think you're gonna feel a lot better if you talk to her. You're probably right for once in your life. I was right about Steven. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, I just, yeah, I just echo everything you said. I just loved seeing them together. I loved hearing some retroactive explanation about Hattie's sexuality. I'd forgotten that she specifically mentioned Alex. Which I love that. I really appreciate Yeah. Because I said, you know, it's like, does this invalidate what she had with Alex? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's just different, which I like that. Yeah. I did wonder, I'm like, is this the end of summer when this is, I mean, is that why Hattie is still around? And then is Amber just asking her now about dating Lauren? Oh, right. Like they had three months and she never asked, how did this happen? Uh, but I was like, okay, that that's for our benefit. Yeah. I can suspend my disbelief because I want to hear this explanation. Yeah. yeah. My only little, this is a quibble. I realized from like the minute they started walking onto that field, which is even before that clip I played. I realized they were on the field where they had their fight over Steve. And then it kind of disappointed me when they drew attention to it. I'm oh, like, no, yeah. Just let me notice. But yeah, I, it was it was also nice that they then like laughed about it. Yeah. I loved what I think had to have been a Sarah Ramos ad lib of I was right about Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> like that was all great. I think I forgave it because correct me if I'm wrong. I think that is literally the only time the two of them talk about Steve after the situation was resolved. Like, we don't even hear them resolve it because we're, like, in the rain and we just see them talking to each other and, like, hugging, but we're in their, like, parents' POV and and we don't hear what they say. And so I thought it was kind of fun years later in the final season of the show to have a callback to something that was very major to them then. And now, you know, like, I mean, obviously Amber saying we're real life grownups, dude, is very funny. Um, That felt so true and real to me. I feel like my students are constantly talking about how old they are and like they can't believe it. Like, oh my God, we're applying to college. How did we get here? And of course, I could think, oh, that's so adorable. They don't know what it's like to be a real adult. But I would never think that because I actually hate it when people who are like 70 commented on my post when I was about to turn 40 about just wait until you're 70. And I'm like, you know what? Can can we all have our mile markers? You know, can we all like (laughs) have a thought about something significant happening to us? And I, that's what it seemed like to me. Like it was a little funny Amber saying that, but also I'm like, it's true. I mean- Hattie's exploring her sexuality. She lives away from home. She's going into an impressive college. And Amber is pregnant. She's about to be a mom. They are real life grownups, dude. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. yeah, they are experiencing something major. And it makes perfect sense that this would lead them to be sort of nostalgic and and reflective on all of that. And you know how much I love it when people reflect. So yeah. I'm very excited. Yeah. And Hattie gave good advice. And Amber did go tell her mom. Mom. Yeah. I'm pregnant. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) That was Gilmore Girls. For once, Parenthood beat Gilmore Girls to a storyline. Yes. (laughs) Here is the actual reveal. Hi. We okay? Yeah. A little warm. Long weekend. Oh, my God. Tell me about it. You should have seen... The whole thing was crazy. Grandpa was sitting next to me, and the next minute he was on the ground. And then the boys came, and 
didn't want to listen to the doctor in Vegas, and it could be nothing. And <laughs> believe me, we partied into the night, and he seemed completely fine. I mean, they call it an event, you know? It wasn't like a actual heart attack, but it wasn't, uh, wasn't, wasn't nothing. Hey, he's gonna be okay. I'm pregnant. If we're just going to dive into comparing it to Gilmore Girls, I I do want to say that I think this was way better for many reasons. But one of them is the reaction that Sarah already seems to be having and will certainly have as we explore the rest of the season is what Amy Sherman Palladino wanted, I think, that moment to be for Lorelai. But because of the history... Like, we all know those were originally intended to be Amy Sherman Palladino's, like, what she'd envisioned for the final four words of the original series. And then she, you know, <laughs> sorry for those of you who don't care about Gilmore Girls, but a little history is she, she <laughs> did suck it up and deal with suck it. Suck it up and deal with it. She didn't end up doing the last season. Someone else did. And so the show did not end the way she had envisioned. And so then when they had the revival nine years later, she got to have her original ending. But I didn't think it packed nearly the emotional wallop because when Rory reveals that she's pregnant, she's 32 or something like that. She's the age that Lorelai was when the entire series started and she had a 16-year-old daughter. And so, yeah, (laughs) yeah, she's like literally twice the age that Lorelai was when she was pregnant. And so I think for Lorelai to be like, what? You're pregnant? I mean, I get that Rory's not in a super stable place in her life and she's not married and stuff, but 32, she'll figure it out. I, yeah. She'll be fine. And she's I got wealthy grandparents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I remember just thinking, this is why you can't just wait nine years and then do the ending that you always wanted. It, it doesn't really work. Because if Rory had been a senior in college, after everything that they'd both worked for, then she's just pregnant at the end of it, like Lorelai was. Then it's like, oh my God, I tried so hard to give you more than I had. And now here you are in the same position I was in. Yeah. And Which I, I also, just while we're discussing this, yeah, I'm so glad that wasn't the end Me of the too. original series. Because I'm like, that's a fucking depressing conclusion to draw from this series. Which so is like, well, you are doomed to repeat history. There's no escape. Yeah. Like, what? How was that the lesson of this heartwarming, fun show? Yeah, really, truly, you're so right. And so I do feel like, though, this is much more of a parallel, which is, I think, what Amy Sherman Palladino wanted on Gilmore Girls. But it really works as a parallel on parenthood because Sarah wasn't in high school when she got pregnant with Amber. She was a couple years older than that and yeah. with a guy still young still but... yeah but like okay and not in college for various reasons same as amber i mean you know rory went to yale for god's sakes you know yeah. so amber's not in college either and like also with kind of an unstable guy who we've made direct comparisons seth to to ryan and so i think this actually does have sarah probably thinking oh shit it's happening exactly as it happened to me So it's weird that I think Parenthood sort of executed the ending that Amy Sherman Palladino wanted to execute, which is weird. And it doesn't depress me as much on this show for a few reasons. I think one of them is the entire purpose of the show wasn't we got to get Amber not to end up like her mom. 
which I think kind of was the point of Gilmore Girls. And so now I think, and plus it's not the, it's not the last moment of the show, which I'm like, what a crazy vision for the ending is that you just tell your mom you're pregnant and then everything else is left to be inferred. What? Yeah. I'm so glad this is the first episode of the last season. Right. We get to unpack all of that for the rest of the season. So those are all yeah. my thoughts. Yeah. Cosine. <laughs> I agree. And it's a development that, I'm actually kind of eager to see. And maybe it's because I'm drawing a parallel to the movie. Mm, Right. Because it's not like I would choose for Amber's destiny to be having a baby. But confronted with that reality, am I interested in seeing it play out or not? Yeah, I am. Yeah. And I kind of believe it. I mean, like, it feels like a... It feels like the level of chaos that's right for Amber. Mm -hmm. Which is... Boy, this is not the way you would plan this. Yeah. If you were planning it. But... It's not like reckless. No. You know, it's not like you started doing heroin, Amber. That, you know, that's like, <laughs> right. wow, you really shouldn't have done that. It's like, yeah, okay, you slept with your fiance, your ex fiance, and it ended up in a pregnancy. Yeah. This was not what you were planning on, but it's not going to ruin your life. No. But it is going to transform your life. Yes. Yeah. How? Let's see. And how does the family at large? React to that, support that, deal with that. Yeah. That feels very on brand yeah. for this show. Yeah. And I truly feel like, number one, Amber's going to be okay. Um, yeah. And I'm grateful that the father of her child is someone so significant to her. Whether they're back together eventually or not, he's significant and yeah. mattered. And that that's nice because, I mean, Sarah had that too, you know, with, with Seth and everything. Yeah. And... You and know. it does feel like that goes towards like keeping it or not. Right, probably. If it were some random guy, I would certainly think more like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't yeah. go through with this. Yeah. But since it is someone significant, like, are you just going to erase this and pretend like it didn't happen? Which is her choice. We are both pro-choice. Like, totally. she can do that. Yeah, it's fine. Totally. But seeing that she is not making that choice, I believe it more because it's with Ryan. I'm sure like, that yeah, Amber plays a part. Wanna, yeah. Yeah. I, I bet it does play a part. Yeah. And I like that the show didn't go so dark, even though it's the final season and, you know, Zeke had some sort of event and, you know, you, you could see them wanting to like ramp up drama or something. It's not, it's not like she was raped or something horrific yeah. happened to her. I mean, like she chose to sleep with Ryan it resulted in a pregnancy. She seems to be choosing to keep it. And since the show has shown us like Amy having an abortion, I think it's great that we know that like she must want this on some level. And perhaps yeah. part of the reason is because she cares about the the father. And, and this is it, the, the child was, you know, conceived in love. Not that that even matters as to whether or not you make whatever choice you make, but maybe to her it does. Yeah. Which I think is nice. And also, I mean this would be the first great grandchild, right? That feels significant for a last season. Like it really the does. next generation. So yeah. Yeah. My one question about Amber's pregnancy. Yeah. Similar to like the questions she was asking Hattie. If this is the end of the summer, Amber is like three months pregnant, right? <laughs> I guess. So like she, I, I don't really know when people start showing, but like, She'll start showing soon, right? Yeah, or maybe I think she so. should be or fourth or fifth month, is that when people really start showing? I don't know. I know. <laughs> you think I mean we we've met pregnant people. <laughs> you know? Right. I don't know. But so she should be popping out a baby in like six months. Yeah. I wonder how much time will 
span this final season because often it's nine months for a full 22 episode arc. Yeah. But it's 13. And I can't remember if it was like scattered and it ended in May. No, it didn't, did it? I think it ended in January. Okay. Or maybe February. Okay. So that we won't spoil it yet. No, but <laughs> we won't. But. I right now I don't remember. <laughs> but she's it's not brand new news to her. Right. But this would be don't they usually tell people it's like end of the first trimester? I, yes. Is when it's really kind of okay to tell. Yeah, and the doctor said that, right? Because soon oh, it's yeah, going to yeah. be like yeah, but you're right. It is yeah. the so first trimester. Aware of that, at least. Yeah, that is good. Yeah. That feels like good attention to detail. I thought this was a great episode. And I didn't remember it as being a great episode. I think I thought like, oh yeah, season six kind of gets off to a clunky start, doesn't it? I thought it got off to a great start. Me too. It felt like they balanced levity and drama Mm -hmm. in a really great way. Like a lot of the Vegas stuff was really fun. Yeah. And a lot of the Amber and Hattie and stuff, you know, was fun. So great. But then there was always serious stuff underneath everything. Yeah. It also felt like this season premiere had more continuing storylines than previous seasons, which always felt like, and now we're introducing the story for this season, and it's brand new. Here, it's like, well, Adam and Christina are right where they were. Yeah. The school they had been planning all last season is now opening. Yeah. Sarah and Hank are together, as we saw them get together last year. Joel and Julia are farther down the path they were already on. Amber and Hattie, you know, were just following up on... Yeah. What happened at the end of last season? Daddy's dating a woman and Amber is pregnant. Yeah. Hank's family, that felt like maybe the introduction of a new storyline. Yeah. Natalie was there. (laughs) Yeah. I guess they're still. I do have to mention, like like you said about Jasmine and Jabbar, same with Drew. Like, is is this one of his 11 episodes? (laughs) And was that the best use of him? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Painting in the background. And how much did it cost to. Hire Natalie for that scene. Probably not very much. No, probably <laughs> she not. She said very. like two words. Yeah. But yeah. But there like, she oh, is. we could have gotten Monica Potter in another episode. No. No, probably. From Natalie's salary. <laughs> no, probably not. But Ray Romano ain't cheap. No. I, I mean, and it makes <laughs> it makes me think a few things. Number one, are they building all this around Ray Romano? Because he's so well known that like maybe he he's certainly like better known than like Joy Bryant, I think. And so maybe in their minds, that's how they justify it, right? They're like, well, if we have this big name actor who might be like a reason why some people might even be tuning in. I mean, I don't personally know anyone who started watching because Ray Romano joined, but okay. Um, But maybe they're like, we have to give him things to do. He can't just be Sarah's boyfriend. And so really, I mean, ever since he joined the show, he's always had prominent screen time and and storylines in a way that kind of contributes to me being a little annoyed by him, honestly. <laughs> He's like <laughs> taking away other people's screen time, it can feel like. But I guess maybe that's how they justify it. But I see it differently. I'm like, well, Joy Bryant has given you loyalty. She has been on the show since season one. And... Jabbar wasn't even in the season one opening credits and he's been around since season one. You know, every other damn kid on that show has been in from like the moment they appeared. Even Jolo Melodwina, you know, like like the first, not the first episode because that was the end of season three, but he's immediately there. Good. Yeah. He should be. But so should Jabbar. And I just, I, again, short shrift. 
the only black cast members, you know, and it yeah. just feels gross. Yeah, I don't like it. But everybody was good. I mean, I think the actors playing Ruby and Sandy were good. Yeah. It was compelling. I just kept hearing you say, why are we spending so much time with non-Bravermans? Then I thought, well, Christine is only a Braverman by marriage because she's in a relationship with Adam. We spend a lot of time with her. But even so, it's usually with other Bravermans. And it's not like Hank is married to Sarah. I, I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, and it just and it's yeah, it's not that I don't like the storyline that they're presenting. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it felt like a very natural one to arise. But the show is about the Bravermans. Yeah. And I I consider well, Jasmine actually is a Braverman. Yeah. And, and Jabbar. Joel, I consider a Braverman. Yeah. And then it's like, you know, we don't know anything about Joel's family. Yeah. They couldn't come up with something there. Or like, what's Jasmine doing for work? She teaches or something. We haven't seen that yeah. in forever. Can we delve there? We have at least met Jasmine's family. Anything happening there? What's going on in Jasmine and Crosby's marriage? Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. And I'm not saying all this is supposed to go in this specific episode. Right. But in in a situation like this where it's like we have to spread around storylines because we can't have all the characters in all the episodes, I do feel like, well, why are we then devoting any time to stories that don't involve any Bravermans? Yeah. And I know that will eventually. I mean, Sarah is on the periphery in mm -hmm. this episode. I'm sure she's going to be right in the middle of it. Yeah. So, you know, I understand. It just does... <sighs> When we already noticed some characters are more fleshed out than others. Yeah. And now it's like we have to prioritize certain things. Okay, prioritize your main characters. Yeah. I I agree. It, it also made me realize we could have had that sweet scene in the morning with the cappuccino or espresso or whatever with, with Sarah and Hank. And that could have been Hank's only moment in the whole episode. Uh, or maybe they come back together at the end and she tells him what it was like to watch her dad, you know, her dad faint. And it's just centered on Sarah. And we just assumed that Hank was like working that day or, you know, or he was watching the football game. Nothing really going on with him the same way that we're forced to assume with Jasmine because we only see her clapping that her like baby is walking yeah. now. And then that's it. And yeah. Or it, Drew paints the room in the school. OK, Drew's back in college and he's still with Natalie, I guess. Yeah, that's all we get. I, I think that does make me ever so slightly resentful. And it also makes me realize what an interesting thing. It's not always equal. It makes me realize how like essential it was that like the cast of friends always presented like a united front. Like we must all get paid the same amount and, and all of the, we're an ensemble. There's no lead here because it does feel a little like, Oh, Ray Romano was more famous the way that like Courtney Cox was originally the most famous yeah. cast member. Although I don't think she like remained that, you know, after the show, but like Ray Romano is more famous than a lot of these people. So I guess he gets more to do that when you really break it down like that, it doesn't feel good, you know, no. but you maybe have to do that to make him interested in being on the show at all. And I don't know him. Maybe he'd be like, Oh, that's fine. Give me whatever. I'll be in the background. I don't care. Maybe they just wanted to do this. So I don't mean to make Ray Romano seem like a diva. I have no idea. <laughs> and I also, I'm a, I want to acknowledge, I'm aware that we've spent five seasons on this podcast saying the Bravermans don't have any friends. Don't they hang out with anyone outside of their family? <laughs> I get that. Yeah. And it, so it's not that I'm like, they shouldn't ever interact with anyone outside of the Braverman. Right, family. right, right. But yeah, it just is something 
we notice, especially in this season when we can't have all the Bravermans in every episode, then I, I question why we're ever spending time without them. Yeah. Although maybe that's the explanation. We couldn't have Joy Bryant in this episode outside of that one shot. Yeah. So but to fill it with something else, we'll hire the guest stars. Yeah, they don't, don't they know. don't cost as much. Although I'm sure Ray Romano costs a lot, but maybe, yeah, maybe but, like, but probably not Sandy. And I guess and, it also also comes down. I just said also twice. Also, also it comes down. It also also comes down to <laughs> uh, just people's opinions of the characters. I on this rewatch am not as invested in Hank as I was. I read some season six review in preparation for this episode where someone referred to Hank as a godsend to the series. Wow. That it like revitalized it. And I thought, oh, we have different opinions <laughs> on Hank's contribution to this show. Yeah, I yeah. do agree that I think the series in general, it does feel like there's a before Hank era and yeah. an after Hank yeah, era. Yeah, agreed. And I'm sure opinions are divided on whether that division is positive or negative or oh. where it falls on that spectrum. But I think I, I don't think he was a godsend. I mean, no. I think he's very good on the show, as we've Always yeah. said. Always and said that, yeah. The character certainly has compelling moments, and I liked him a lot in this season premiere. I did too, yeah. A lot more than I had for most of season five. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I thought facing new realities felt mm, like a theme. Yeah. Amber with her pregnancy and Zeke with his health or his mortality. Yeah. Joel and Julia with their marriage seemed mm-hmm. to have a new reality. Yeah. Max has to face this school. Very good, yeah. And then Hank with his family. Yeah. New dynamic coming up there. And a new reality feels very uh, apropos for a season premiere. Oh, yes. Yeah. I think I agree. It it might be, with the exception perhaps of the pilot, maybe my favorite season premiere. And I think... I might agree. I think maybe you nailed it. It's because sometimes there feels like a lot of like, you know, thanks big brother, you know, like moments of like forced, (laughs) here's how we explain what's going on. I thought for the most part, they did a very natural job with uh, working in the context. Like even Chris saying to Julia, I never should have let you go in law school. And she's like, maybe I'll let you go in law school. I was like, that is a really effective way to tell us they were together in law school that didn't feel like clunky i thought yeah yeah i thought they might reference their own past like that i thought that was very good or i noticed on my second watch in sarah and hank's first scene when she realizes he hasn't told sandy Mm -hmm. about her she says your ex-wife and daughter are moving back to berkeley and you haven't told them you've got a girlfriend yeah maybe that's clunky but for whatever reason it didn't catch my ear and i'm like She's bringing it up in the context of him and what he's saying. Right, right. Not purely for our benefit. Like, she's saying, this is strange that you didn't tell them, not because why would your ex-wife need to know, but because, well, it's not like she's off in Minnesota anymore. Yeah. She's going to be here. Yeah. I'm like, okay, good. Good Way to work that in. I agree. Because it's not like she just said... Wow, are you going to see your ex-wife and and Ruby today since they're moving back? That would have been clunky. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they they really, they they did it all, I think, very, very well. And now that we're sort of like looking at like maybe our final thoughts, things that we didn't work into the conversation as it happened, one final thought I have about the whole Sandy thing was I thought she sounded very reasoned in the clip you played earlier about Ruby getting in with a bad crowd, but I thought she sounded really over the top right before that when um, Hank was like, oh, yeah, 
Sarah and I are dating and she's like, I don't give a crap. Just, I don't want to see your underwear. <laughs> and I'm like, and is she living here? <laughs> and I was like, that feels like too much, but maybe, <laughs> maybe that's keeping with like what he said about her character and stuff. But I, I kind of thought like, oh, I get that you maybe care about who lives in a house where Ruby will be spending 50% of the time and you're annoyed that he didn't mention this to you. But like, I don't know. It all felt very charged to me and yeah. like, like not just saying, well, okay, does she live here? Just, I want to know what I'm dealing with here. Maybe I should get to know her better. You know, like, is it, is it okay for her, you know, or like, yeah, that's, I figured you were dating her underwear was here, you know, like to me, those felt like, the more normal reactions to him explaining, but whatever. Oh, no, 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 I took it pretty normal. I yeah. thought she was just like, I don't care what you're doing. Just keep her underwear out of it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, reasonable. Yeah, that's fair. And it's not like, although it's a situation friends. where like the profanity such as it is, I felt like drew attention to it in a way. Yeah. Like when you say, I don't give a crap. <laughs> that one's not so egregious, but I still think like, you know, if she could say, I don't give a shit what you're doing, just keep her underwear out of yeah. here. That feels so casual and tossed off. Yeah. And crap somehow catches my ear. And then I think, well, that's not as casual. And now I'm reading more into it yes. than I think you meant. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah. I say I don't give a shit a lot. So <laughs> I don't give a shit. <laughs> That's more something charged. I love. Something I love about wearing masks <laughs> um, now in this world with COVID is the things I can mutter under my breath <laughs> around other people. <laughs> I have to remind myself, I'm like, they're not soundproof, Caleb. <laughs> so just careful when you pass someone like in the subway and go, oh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> like they might hear you. That's hilarious. I love it. But I still like being able to mutter it. All right. Well, it was lovely to realize that it was such a great opener. It makes me feel even more excited about the final season of the show. Yeah. And we have some surprises in store for our season six guests. Yeah. This whole season, we will be welcoming back some of our favorite guests from Yay. past seasons. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry to say we don't have any new guests on the horizon, but we just wanted to go out with some of our favorite friends and some of your favorites who've listened to the podcast. So it's going to be a greatest hits yeah. final season lineup. Sort of our all-star season. Yeah. I, I really like that idea, even though part of me, like, again, when we're talking about all the lasts and everything, so we've already had our last new guest, you know? Yeah. But there is something exciting about knowing that all the guests we have on will be very familiar with the show and we'll have, you know, just tons to say and that we feel so, you know, comfortable with them. There's something exciting about meeting a new person. And I'm really, can I just say this about our own podcast? Maybe this is <laughs> conceited or arrogant, but I don't, I don't mean it to be, but I'm impressed at a lot of these first conversations that you or I had yeah. with someone we'd never met before. I don't think people would guess that necessarily because, you know, good conversations, but at the, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, it is lovely. Like, Oh, look, you're back. We love you. Let's get yeah. into it. Yeah. So we hope that you all are looking forward to that with us as well. Yeah. And we will have a few more that are just us too, because you know, yeah, you know, that's what the podcast is. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we invented it. So we get to do whatever the hell we want, <laughs> whatever the crap we want. 
So please do check us out on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Parenthood Pals Everywhere. Although I will say we don't plan to post much or let's be honest at all (laughs) after the show is over after our podcast has ended. Uh, so then, you know, our pages will still be up and you can still follow and, and see us, but there won't be new content. It'll be more of a time capsule of this experience uh, for us. So, yeah. So we may not be reminding you as often to go check it out because if you made it this far, you've probably already seen it or decided you don't need to see it. You just like to listen. And that's okay. It is okay. Our website will always remain parenthoodpals.com <laughs> where you can find all of our podcasts. Yay. Thank you for making it to the final season with us. We hope you have a great time as we embark on these final now 12. Oh my goodness. Oh. <laughs> but for now, we've got another one coming next week. So until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true. <laughs>